Hello and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast, the podcast that analyzes, dissects, and overbooks one of the most important eras of professional wrestling. This episode will be covering the most American of all the pay-per-views, The Great American Bash, 1997. I of course couldn't do this without my wrestling stereotype co-hosts. First, he's from Dublin, Ireland. That must mean he loves fighting fella. It's Fergus Looney. How are you doing, Fergus? Stereotypes, really? <laughs> yeah. We're going to yeah. do the full-on leprechauns for the rest of the show? Uh, no, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, I enjoyed this pay-per-view, surprisingly. Mm. It's going to be odd to say that, but uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it, but I'm doing good. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing well. Not bad. Can't complain. On, on paper, this card was uh, pretty entertaining. I don't know if it worked out like that, but lots to discuss. <laughs> and of course, he's from Chicago, the US of A, which I mean, guess he loves losing to the Packers? I don't know what your oh. stereotype is. Oh. Connor Topical, O'Donnell. topical. How are you doing? Uh, after, after that terrible loss, not good. Not good. That's such a double dagger for me as a Raiders yeah. fan. Damn you, damn you, Reggie White. I love that this <laughs> this still keeps the podcast timeless because at any time the Bears could be going down to the Packers. It's just yeah, it's, it's pretty much every year. Yeah. <laughs> Bret Hart has risen from the grave and has somehow beaten the Bears somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave, I'm good. It's it's it feels good to be casting with you again. I'm used to podcasting with you every week, but. Not anymore, so I only get to talk to you like once a month, man. I miss you. Yeah, I miss it. I, I do I do actually miss it. I thought I'd uh, be relishing my free time, but free time's for suckers, apparently. Were you given lots of chores to do, was it? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to go back to WCW 1997. Even though I kind of like this show, 1997's been kind of wearing on me. So yeah, I need my beer. Got some revolution. What is this called here? First time having it. It's called uh, Tropic Hero. So I need this. To get through some of these matches, because there are some stinkers on this one. How about yes. you, Fergus? What, what are you drinking for tonight? I'm having a very undervalued and underappreciated company. You may have heard of them. They're called Coca Cola. I'm actually off the alcohol at the moment. So young up and comers, yeah, <laughs> sprightly. Uh, <laughs> I'm having uh, some alcoholic uh, iced tea from my local Aldi. So uh, I guess Walmart would be your equivalent over there. Who wants alcoholic iced tea? Oh, I do. Oh, I do. I, I mean, purposely went in there to buy it, surprisingly. alcohol. Just drink alcohol. <laughs> but enough of our uh, of our vices being shown on air. We're going to jump straight into Nitro Recap. New, 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 new Nitro Recap. We are live chronicling the past month of WCW Monday Nitro. In our number one of the podcast, we begin with one of the biggest victories in the history of our sport. The immortal Hollywood Hogan tapped out clean to the torture rack live on WCW Monday Nitro. Now, we can't bust out the victory music yet, though. It was not a title match. You know, of course. (laughs) Historical moment, nonetheless, as we all know, Hogan rarely loses in general. And when he does, it's usually through shenanigans. Also, for submission defeats, according to the dirt sheets, Hogan had not tapped out since 1981 to our man Antonio Inoki. Shocked. Shocked. But I wanted to play a little game, though, to see how well-versed the both of you are in Hogan wrestling history. Up until this point in time, can you guys name the other times Hogan was beaten clean? Beaten clean? You mean between 1981 and then? 
Yes, correct. So I'm counting like you know WWF, WCW title match or television matches. I'm not sure. including whatever that Jacques Rougeau victory was that happened sometime right. in '97. Singles matches, just singles. Singles. Yep. This, oh God, I can't remember if Taker was clean. Doesn't he get help from Ric Flair with a chair? That that counts as one. Yes. So I'll I'll accept some slight bullshit, but that yes, that counts as one. So you get one. So the other obvious one is Warrior beating him. Yeah, number two at right. WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Uh, does he lose to Vader in WCW? Nope. No. Nope. Well, let's get the easy one. There's one that that happened that we re- reviewed on the podcast. Piper. <laughs> Piper. Yeah. Piper, I, I don't know if that's really pinning, clean, or whatever that was, uh, but sure. technically yeah. a victory. Sure. <laughs> Who knows of anything in this two year period can be considered clean? No, this is harder fine. than I thought it would be. <laughs> He did not lose a lot. Uh, He must have lost to Andre at some point. Correct, correct. The Saturday night main events. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the whole shenanigans with the twin brother referee. Awesome (laughs) angle. Oh, yeah, the Hebners, yeah. Love that. (laughs) So, again, some screwy finishing, but still, clean victory. One more WWF match. This is early new gen era. Does he lose to Brett ever? No. I was going to say Flair. He does actually lose to Flair, but that's on WCW. That's it's WCW, horse, okay. Horseman cheating, Hogan, Flair hits Hogan with the spike of a heel shoe. <laughs> and then you're not going to get this one. Uh, Arn Anderson gets a victory off of Hogan. Wow. He's blind. Yeah, early 96, again, Horseman cheating again. Similar right. ending, right. hitting him with a shoe. Again, it's good to see Hogan give those open-coming kids a chance <laughs> to get over. It's the head of hair, the full head of hair that Arn has that yeah. he's clearly... Uh... <laughs> so yeah, think, think around the time of Undertaker, there's another guy that they were putting over as a huge heel. Oh, as I say, huge, huge in weight. Yoko? Oh, Yoko, Yoko, yeah. Yeah, Yoko Zuna, King of the Ring, 1993. That's the one where the photographer has the fireball flash. Yep, yeah. that's, that's Again, it's a bit screwy, but at least that is a kid he's putting out. Yoko's like very young, which I always forget. That's pretty much all of them. I also have Tony Atlas at 1981. I'm not sure if that one really counts, but... Is that like an AWA, or is he actually in WWF at that stage? That's WWF. Yeah, I think it's WWF. I'm not sure. Fair enough, yeah. That's pretty much it. I think that's eight. I mean, that's really not much over a (laughs) 15-year period. That's that's one every two years. (laughs) Good on him. Anyone (laughs) that ever wants to complain about John Cena again in their lifetime (laughs) should go back and look at it. And again, we have to like say they're clean. But all of them, but two of them are kind of screwy. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was actually fun doing research for this. Uh, I, I, you know, I would watch like all the finishes and all, all the matches. It was, it was actually a lot of fun. But for Hollywood Hogan, he finally made his return to Nitro after the NBA playoffs were done airing on TNT. The last time Hogan wrestled a singles match was months ago against Piper at Super Bowl. So that just gives you an idea of how long he's just been on the shelf. I mean, he, he made the appearance in Uncensored. He didn't really wrestle that much, so... Very similar to uh, one Brock Lesnar. So if you like that kind of storyline, Hogan definitely is represented in spades right now. But J.J. Dillon, he decided to step up this month, being much more involved in the fight for WCW over the NWO. He started by mandating a match between Hogan and Lex Luger. Why not for the title? Your guess is as good as mine. So, oh, let's say Bischoff vetoed the title being on the line. Who knows? So moving on, a new member has joined the NWO. Not sure if this officially counts, but the great Muta has aligned himself with Masahiro Chono. So the past month, they got to wrestle the Steiner Brothers. More on that later. Fun match, though. Check it out, especially if you're a New Japan fan. Do you guys remember anything from Great Muda during this time? I only ever got to see him like wrestle once, just a random thing I saw. I always loved him, even though I've only seen him wrestle once or twice. I think he just has this great mystique and character about him. 
Uh, I, like I've rewatched the older NWA WCW period stuff. So when he's in Crockett, he's amazing in that at the time because he's like so unbelievably different to everybody else. Uh, but I wouldn't know him at this stage. I would have seen maybe some All Japan stuff later on then once he becomes goes back to his, his actual name and he basically becomes like the equivalent of Triple H in All Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, during this time, he's mainly wrestling in New Japan, kind of the NWO faction in Japan, basically. So again, I don't know if I can really count him. He's, he only makes a few appearances with Chono and Chono is not even really a part of the NWO as well. So it's, it's hard to really define whether he's in the faction or not. Yeah. They're good trivia questions, I suppose. Mm, Yes. Yes. As tradition, we end with the sting update. He continues to progress, coming up with new ways to surprise and escape the grasp of the NWO moments, which include sting busting through the bottom of the ring to deliver a scorpion death drop to Eric Bischoff. Sting is also able to repel back up to the ceiling. Now, Dave, I think this is what you remember about the, this whole sting angle. It takes forever for Sting to hook to his hook safety harness back on. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It, it, this includes the memorable moment of Sting. He like saves DDP from the NWO, and both of them repel to the ceiling. They're sitting there for like two minutes, and the NWO <sighs> is just like looking at him like, oh, we're going to get you while you wait <laughs> and you hook up. <laughs> it's very dangerous to attack people on ropes. They're just being polite. <laughs> this was uh, like at ringside, too. <laughs> oh, it's... I, I don't think I've ever even seen that, and I'm cringing. Like, <laughs> I'll post the gift after this episode. It's I've definitely seen the gift before. It's quite the moment on, on Nitro. Sting has some of the best gifts in the world. Sting disguised as Sting is still one of my favorite gifts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see how the uh, Sting storyline progresses. We still have many months to uh, to cover, so... Yeah, but unfortunately, we are out of time on the Nitro recap. Bust out those America flags! It's time for the Great American Bash, 1997. America, the land of the free, home of the brave, and the site of WCW's Great American Bash. The American worker is the backbone of our country. Diamond Dallas Page has realized the American dream through his dedication and determination to his sport. His vigilance and hard work has thrust him into the spotlights, gaining the attention of the NWO and the Macho Man Randy Savage. He finds himself in a continuing struggle as another chapter unfolds in Savage Page 2 at WCW's Great American Bash. Whew. I think I might have already got enough America for one day. I don't know about you, but that, uh... America! America! That, uh, <laughs> USA! USA! Both the wrestlers are from Canada. USA! USA! That might be worse than the sold-out intro, I think. <laughs> Maybe. It, it is very patriotic. I'm swelling up with pa- uh, patriotic pride, even though I've only been to America once. Just at that intro. But uh, they do talk of Paige as the main hero at the moment. And I, that's the feel about the promotion. Page is the everyman that worked his way up, which is kind of true, true. in a sense. Yeah. Except he, he owned a nightclub and was quite profitable before he became a wrestler. But, you know, everyman, everyman. Yeah, and people from Jersey are from America. We all know that. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, send the hate tweets at me. <laughs> so, whole decked out red, white, and blue uh, Titatron. Looks fantastic. Dusty's in a red jacket. 
Brain is in a white jacket with a blue pocket square. Tony's in black. Come on, Tony. Get with the program. What is this? Just breaking Tony, up the... Tony obviously doesn't get paid as much money as the other two guys, Dave. He can't <laughs> afford anything other than black. Tony phones it in this pay-per-view. I don't know if you guys noticed it. A little he's, bit. Just off. he's just off. I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, just, just a little bit. As usual, Tony talks up the pay-per-view a lot about the main event. He does say there's a double main event, which I think is complete BS. Do we really need to stroke Pipers and Flair's egos so much yes. that they're not in the main yeah. event? It's oh, just God. so ridiculous. Yeah. Can't wait to they talk about to. that build-up. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. I would like to point out that Dusty's random commentary about DDP and Savage being mirror images of each other. That I, went nowhere. I've no I was waiting for it to why. go somewhere. He, he does this whole rant and he's like, and then they're like mirror images of each other and that's it. They're just, they're just similar. That was your whole Today point. Today and Bobby look at him and go, no, <laughs> let's carry on. <laughs> but we only get a little bit of preamble before we go to our first match. Classic Cruiserweight opener here in WCW. We get Psychosis versus Ultimate uh, Ultimo Dragon. Of course, last pay-per-view we saw Dragon and Ono turning on each other. Dragon, pretty much a face now, I think we can all agree. And Ono's still the dastardly heel. This match has been booked as a respect match. Mike Denae is out to explain what that means. It means that, essentially, <laughs> he wants to beat some respect into Dragon. Is that respect? What do you think? I'd say it's WCW's necessary need to have a, some form of gimmick match on every single <laughs> card that they have. Can't, can't just be a singles match. No, no. <laughs> At least the respect isn't on a pole. I guess. It's like dignity? Sure, sure. <laughs> little, little victories. <laughs> At least it's giving Psychosis a little bit of character here, so it's a nice little change of pace because like, Psychosis, since like his first match that we reviewed, he's just been boring and yeah, like, lifeless. I gotta give it to him. He actually does, like they do point it out as well, but he does actually wrestle differently Yep, for this match. And he has taken on something on board, at least, anyway. Mm. And Dragon, he steps it up in the tights department. His kick-ass, sparkling gold tights and that. Sparkly gold, yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I, I have in my notes that Psychosis looks like a mix of a Dragon Ball Z character and a Power Ranger. Well, Power Rangers would have just started or been around at that stage, so, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. In my notes, in my notes here, I have God, Dragon's music sucks so hard. How can you cheer for shit like that? <laughs> I kind of got used to it now. I think because it's distinct enough. Uh, <laughs> That's because we see him every pay-per-view, so it's, well, it's easier to remember now. That's a good thing. Uh, yeah, We've conditioned ourselves to react positively to that music because we like Dragon so much. It doesn't make it any less uh, bad, I guess. Yeah, the, crowd's, the crowd really cheer for him as well as he comes out. Super hot for Dragon. And uh, yeah, he's been he's had some amazing matches with some high spots. I can't blame them. I think it's just the crowd in general. I don't think it's necessarily that they particularly like Dragon above other people. Because they get a big enough boo for Psychosis as well, or at least Sonny, when he comes out. So it's like they have like a clear definition of who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. I don't know if it's just typical of the opening matches of all these WCW pay-per-views that we've watched that the opener is usually the hottest match. Maybe because it's the good wrestlers wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. well, there, there's a match we'll, I'll point out later that absolutely kills the crowd right in the middle of this card. <laughs> Which and, uh, one? I wonder. <laughs> and uh, that hasn't had a chance to happen, so crowd's still happy to be at a wrestling event. I don't know if that's the case later on. <laughs> <Happy>. <laughs> so we get a new dynamic in the commentary table this time around. Tanae is out, but Dusty just stops talking. Goes, takes a nap, I guess. 
Yeah, it was a breath of fresh air, at least for this match, because him getting confused with Asai and all that crap, like, good. I, I don't need you to t- talk to Iron Mike. Four is a lot of people in the boot. Three is right. a lot of people. Uh- <laughs> yeah. I like uh, one of Brian's comments early on here today that has he ever been to Japan? Tanay answers no, to my surprise. I thought he would have been over being, you know, the expert in it. He says that Japan is a country about respect. It's a huge thing over there. And Ono was a respected man. So it makes it feel a bit more like a grudge and like Ono has been actually slighted by Dragon's actions of wanting to be more honorable, I guess. Verging on kind of stereotypical racism <laughs> later on. But I think good point to start the match. Yeah, props to WCW. They've been keeping Sonny pretty relevant. The whole Great Muda thing, I didn't really mention Sonny a part of that, but he was the, he brought Great Muda in, or I can't remember what the exact storyline was, but Muda basically turns on Sonny to be a part of the NWO. So that's why Sonny is getting the reaction he is. He's He's been visible. They've been utilizing him pretty nicely. Is he kind of like a tweener then? Because <laughs> he's been turned on by Muda? Sort of, yeah. Okay, weird. Okay. That's the whole weird thing about this whole New Japan thing. Because like, we kind of don't like New Japan, but it's not NWO. But, I mean, it's kind of like Hokuto. It's like she's not NWO, but like she's evil. She's definitely not a good, good person. Yeah. 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 So match starts off at a bit of a slow pace. Psychosis in abandoning some of the super high flying stuff and playing his role very well of grinding down Dragon, letting Dragon get some high spots and some cheers from the crowd who are getting ready into the match. Early action by Psychosis. Dragon goes for a leapfrog and Psychosis hits a big, I want to call it like forearm elbow and just taunts the crowd. And this is kind of indicative of his offense for the entire opening of the match. I like comment, uh, the commentators noticing this and saying that's all Ono. Sonny Ono's put all these strategies in his head and a couple times Psychosis has to bail and chats to Ono. So I like the kind of change of pace for this match. I have Psychosis starts with Hogan techniques of stalling on the outside. <laughs> the Hogan technique, I like it. Um, I have my usual fa- one of my favorite tropes comes up here again on a WCW pay per view. Sonny has a conversation with the cameraman. You can't hear any of it. Uh, <laughs> good job, production guys. Good job. Yeah, it's always a coin flip. I always like I'm quiet and waiting to hear what someone says, and it's less than fifty fifty. I get to hear it. Dragon goes for his now patented headstand on the turnbuckle when he gets whipped in. Psychosis pump fakes running in, but then still eats the boots when he goes in the second time around. After some nice back and forth, Dragon sends Psychosis to the apron, then hits a nice stun gun to drop him to the floor, but misses with a slingshot crossbody. Ono takes his chance to lay in some sweet kicks, still look as great as the first time we've seen him, to Dragon's chest and back, getting some of that nice Ono heat. I think we'll start calling it on the podcast. I'm kind of over the handstand spot already. <laughs> Same. Psychosis doesn't really sell it very well either. No, yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't. I think the problem with some of these spots are we're going to start to see them quite often. Like after doing this for almost, we're almost on our 12th plus episode at the moment. We see wrestlers progress and the first time they come up with this big pay-per-view move to do, but then it gets a pop. So they're going to do it every pay-per-view from then on. And that's kind of what's happened with the handstand. The first time we saw it, we're like, oh, sweet. And he's used it every time we've seen him since, right? Pretty much. I yeah. still pop for the tilt a world crucifix, whatever they call it. Like the crowd loves it. I actually still like it too because he seems to do it better every time. Yeah, That's no, fair. it's just it's the fact that it's it's not a move really. It's just a thing that nobody would do in a real fight, <laughs> 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 and it's just gone past the point of being cool now. It's just like right. why doesn't somebody just punch him in the head? Uh, right. Yeah. I, 
we, we've we've talked about this. Yeah, it just doesn't fit his character as well. I had the same thing with the six one nine when I was a kid. I'm like, your your head has never been on that rope. Not in a hundred wrestling matches have you ever decided to rest on the middle rope. Why are you doing it against the one guy that uses the middle rope to spin? It's not smart. <laughs> what are the odds? Oh. What are the odds? <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely a fair when critiquing uh, Dragon, at least because there's at times he does the swing and that gets mixed reactions usually. And luckily he doesn't do it for this match. So I'm, I'm glad that he uh, doesn't incorporate that. Yeah. After some Ono beatdown, the uh, Psychosis hangs Dragon on the middle rope and hits a top rope leg drop onto the apron. Looks pretty painful for both men involved. Again, really bad camera angle on this. Yeah. It, it actually really badly exposes the way the move is done. Yeah, yeah, they, it has the up angle, and you can see exactly what Dragon is doing the entire time. Yeah, well, he's like he's holding himself on the middle rope, and it looks really blatantly obvious that he could get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> We're uncovering the secret of the business in this uh, in this podcast. Because, yeah, I'm going to point it out as much as possible. <laughs> Thirty years ago, Meng would have been around to our houses. Uh, probably not. Back in the ring while Psychosis argues with the ref over his legs being on the rope for a pin, Ono tries to lay into Dragon on the outside again. Dragon blocks the kicks this time and goes for a suplex to a huge pop from the crowd, but Psychosis hits a slingshot axe handle to break it up. Some real nice looking moves going into the closing stretch, an acai moonsault we've come to expect out of every Dragon match, but I am not bored of that move, it just looks sweet. Well, Tanae just keeps marking out to it every single time. Tanae <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> likes to remind us that it's his actual name as well. Right. And no Dusty to get confused about the Dragon Salt, so that was nice. Yeah. Dragon also hits a sweet-looking Tombstone, which is usually a psychosis move, and a spinning heel kick off the turnbuckle, followed by a suicide dive over the top turnbuckle by Psychosis. Both look awesome, too. Yeah, that was probably my spot of the night. Love that. Yeah, I kind of forget how tall Psychosis is. He just looks very impressive doing some of this stuff. It, it makes it more impressive because he does it like over the corner turnbuckle almost. Yeah. Because like yeah. usually when Taker does it, it's just like through the middle ropes. I don't know why it makes it more impressive. I guess it's that added danger of having the, the ring post that you just don't yeah. neck yourself on. It's it. just he a bigger has, jump. He has a lot more to clear. Yeah. Yeah. It is just a freakish, freakishly athletic jump, to be honest. Dragon does a front roll into a jumping Hurricane Rana for a pin attempt, which is reversed into a two count by Psychosis. Psychosis goes for a run up the turnbuckle moonsault, but is met by a drop kick to the knees, as the commentators point out, but still looks pretty good. Dragon hit the top rope Frankensteiner and sets up for the tiger suplex, but Ono is up on the apron to distract him. Psychosis takes his chance to hit him with a top turnbuckle uh, kind of drop kick, kicky thing. I have I have in the notes. <laughs> drop kick, kicky thing. Is yeah, that a technical it's, term it's a, or. You can see he sets up for a proper drop kick, but doesn't have the space. So it kind of just hits him with his foot. Sure. That's how I can best describe it. Ono on the apron again, and tries to roundhouse kick Dragon. But hits Psychosis instead. This lets Dragon lock in the Dragon Sleeper. Ono, I like this, stays in the ring, distraught, and tries to distract the referee. But the referee has none of it. Pushes him out of the way, and Psychosis taps out. Commentators make a pretty big deal of Psychosis tapping instead of saying, I submit. And I guess that was a newer thing around then actually topping out. I wanted to ask you guys about this because, yeah, I was reading the dirt sheets about how like WCW is trying to push out this whole tapping thing. I was like, isn't tapping like a thing around this time? I mean, maybe not in WCW, I guess. I, I don't know. See, there just wouldn't have been that many people who ran submission finishers all the time. So like Piper had the sleepers, so guys would just 
pass out. Right. What about what about Sting though for the sharpshooter? Sorry, Scorpion Deathlock. <laughs> God, guys. Yeah, I don't know. You'd have to go back and watch his matches. Like maybe they're just people are are vocally saying that they're quitting or whatever. Yeah, I'm trying Curious. to imagine it, and I think it is. I I don't think many people did it. I made a mental note of it once when we had a submission finish, but I can't remember which match this was. Yeah, the the problem is a lot of faces win with submissions. And when they do, you know, they let go straight away and they're cheering and they're up in the air and you didn't really see the top. Kind of attitude error wrestling is when they went real close into people's, you know, faces and expressions and tapping. Because, uh, like, yeah, Luger wins with the rack, so they can't really tap. They just have to shout. And Flair just doesn't win, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, yeah, that's an interesting point, Dave. Like, Dragon kind of turns face here and he starts incorporating the sleeper. So it's kind of a weird dynamic. What do you guys actually think about the dragon sleeper? Well, let's start off with that because I remember liking this move as a kid or at least in the video game for sure. But looking back at it now, I'm like, is it lame or like trying to think if I like it or not? He's he's like just incorporated. It's pretty new at this point. I liked it when I was young. It's become a bit overused and it's like the setup for a lot of moves like reverse DDTs and the crossroads for people like Cody Rhodes and stuff. So it, it, it's weird now when someone does it and then just holds the guillotine. It doesn't. It looks like they're setting up for a move opposed to doing a move. But mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I liked it a lot. I remember giving it to my creator wrestlers a lot in video games. Nice. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't particularly enjoy it because there's no setup for it. Really, nothing he did in that match, as an example, would really go. Yeah, he's setting up for a finish, a submission finisher. Not that one, anyway. The best submission ones are always usually leg orientated or maybe like their arm or something because you can work on the body part. So I think that's why I don't enjoy it because it's just, oh, once he gets it in, it's just it. Okay. Why doesn't he just go for it? I'll, I'll, I'll match them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. The Tiger Suplex is much better with his, his moveset. And this is kind of like a finisher that like fits like the nasty boys or something like that. Cause you're really sticking your armpit in their face. So it's not like really, <laughs> oh, you're well, kind of choking them, but it's like, no, you're just sticking your armpit right in their face. Of note, I've seen it in recent times where people will fall back and they'll like vine. They'll like vine their legs around you and like have it as if it's a reverse guillotine on the ground. Now your opponent needs to be quite flexible for not, not to hurt them a lot, but it looks sick because it doesn't look like your body belongs that like that because it doesn't because you need to be an athlete to, to bend that way. Yeah. But yeah, the normal standing one is just, it hasn't aged well. We'll see if it evolves from there. I can't remember if it does. But all in all, I thought this was a great opener. It wasn't too long. They didn't really depend on high spots. So I thought this was, I think Dragon, of course, one of the best matches on the card. No surprise there. And final thought is just having a Japanese wrestler being booked this way, like being booked as a face for once. I thought it was refreshing for something different. Yeah, it seems like he got so over, they couldn't not. Like he was getting his stiff kicks were getting cheered already, so you might as well turn him. And he's doing a great job. Boatman, tell a story. There's actual story to the cruiserweight bout, which we've missed a lot of times in these pay per views. They're kind of thrown together. Psychosis is starting to get a character, and instead of doing all his high spots, he played to the character and built up the match slowly. So it's not like the best opening match we've covered on the podcast, but it's just a well wrestled match. Yeah, solid. And I think Psychosis just works better as that kind of heel as well. Because the Bash of the Beach match, he basically works this type of character. That's more of like a vicious heel, but he definitely plays the heel in that match. So that's why it works so well. Yep. Yeah, agreed. I, I enjoyed it too. The crowd really, really helps it a lot. Them being so into it 
makes it so much easier to watch matches. Agree. Backstage, Benoit is sitting next to a nerd who in turn is sitting next to the <laughs> biggest, oldest TV you've ever seen in your life. And they're both sitting in front of the oldest laptops you can imagine. They're not laptops. They're actual PCs, man. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love those loud, clicky keyboards. Yeah. <laughs> like, almost like you, mechanized you could, ones. You can barely hear Benoit over the typing. It's yeah. so loud. Benoit does not care. Doesn't give a shit what he's doing right there. And like his answer is so long and convoluted. There is no way the guy is typing fast enough uh, well, for him. The guy asks, what will you do to even the numbers, essentially? And Benoit just goes, I hope that it isn't a problem. <laughs> it's essentially his his answer boiled down. He's like, I want it to be man on man, not man on dungeon and dungeon on man. And I just, me and Meng, I'm like, so your response is cross your fingers. Hope they decide cool. to be nice. Yeah. Cool. Hey, let's also, not blame let's not blame Benoit here. We we need to blame WCW for this. They've ruined our favorite segment because <laughs> other times they'll they'll just talk over it and then the, the wrestlers just kind of talk in the background. This is like, all right, let's listen in to the exciting <laughs> response from Chris Benoit. Like, why are be, we doing this? Why are we picking Chris? Chris of all people to make something interesting. I will say I like his normal speaking voice better than his promo voice. He puts sure, on this yeah. like voice and promos that's like really old school, like Hawk. Well, <laughs> kind of in his promos, I'm like, you don't need to. He just has a normal, nice promo voice, and I've never actually heard him use it, which is kind of weird. Next, we get a number one contendership match between the Harlem Heat and the Steiner Brothers. I believe we were complaining a couple episodes ago that these guys haven't wrestled in a while, and they're these all star kind of teams. As for a build, the Steiners were announced number one contenders after screwy finishes in their matches with the NWO. Harlem and Heat, of course, did not like this and claimed that they deserved a shot. Later, Harlem Heat would interfere in a number one contender match between the Steiners, Muto, and Chono. The Steiners would get them back by interfering in Harlem Heat's match with some random jobbers, local city jobbers. It's uh, C- It was Cyclope and Damien. Oh, nice. <laughs> You should still go with Cicope for Halloween, Dave, I'm telling you. <laughs> I wonder if Booker's still, uh, if he's still living after th- that loss. <laughs> Cicope, the personification of frumpy in human form. <laughs> then this match was booked. We had number one contendership between the Harlem Heat and the Steiners. Harlem Heat also out in matching gold gear with Sherry. I think they look fantastic, a bit like Ultimo, Ultimo Dragon did in the previous match. Both teams come out to Pyro as well, show, but they have the last couple of shows showing how over they are. Start of the match, we get Stevie Ray with Scott. Oh, before we start the match, yeah. nobody's going to point out how big Scott Steiner is. He's looking really big. Because he's gotten way bigger in between one pay-per-view. <laughs> and now I think he's actually verging on evil Scott Steiner because he's growing a goatee. Yeah, the goatee. That's why it looks bigger, yeah. The goatee yeah. adds a few extra inches of, of mass, I guess. Of bicep. <laughs> I was going to say, I think he looks nice, like decent with black long hair and a goatee. There's like this in-between transformation from blonde obnoxious Scott to tag team mullet Scott. And this is like a nice in-between. He actually looks like a, a fine wrestler opposed yeah, to a cartoon. Un- unfortunately, his, his hair is thinning quite fast. You can see like it's not... Mm. It's not going to stay that way. I wonder if that's a result of any of the uh, vitamins he's taking. I I mean, (laughs) 
if, if that's not proof that people aren't being drug tested in that company. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever just like watched his workouts or whatever? He'll like, you gotta, you gotta lift the weights until you black out. Yeah. <laughs> oh fantastic. He's, so he's good. one of those guys and you can, <laughs> that's just like, yeah, I did chest today. My arms are in bits. What are you doing now, Scott? Hundred push-ups. <laughs> Why? I got nothing else to do between food and the gym. I'm just gonna do another hundred push-ups. I got the thing is somehow Scott is gonna outlive like the vast majority of his generation. Everybody's gonna be wondering how. Like, oh, how have you? How has your heart not killed itself, man? Yeah. <laughs> is is Rick still alive? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure Rick's okay. alive. I think they're still wrestling on the Indies together. Yeah, Rick wrestles on and off, apparently. Yep, still alive. Good. Usually just in tag matches. Uh, <laughs> I like your surprise. No, yeah, still alive. Good for you, Rick. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> in fairness, again, anyone from their generation, you're just like, well done. Well done, you. I mean, this is more entertaining than talking about the match because it's very bleh. <laughs> yeah, it's a very by the numbers match, yeah. Yeah, it's a good match. It's just, it's nothing special for me or two of these teams. One of the most notable things I have is that it's like Ray and Scott, especially, work quite snug, but yes, to a fine extent, they, they just both like knocking the crap out of each other. Those those forearms to the back of the head, like yeah. it's like right in the beginning of the match, like it's something like Taz used to do. Taz, you would like cover it up a little bit, but like Scott was just like, here's a couple forearms to the back of your head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ready to start the match? Here we go. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you got to wake him up. <laughs> Yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of stiff hits, and they're they're both giving as good as they're getting, and there doesn't seem to be I mean, any actual animosity there. Does Scott not remember that like Booker was actually in jail, or like <laughs> Booker's a legit badass? With the story of Booker just having enough with Batista one day and going, okay, let's go into the next room and fight. What? Yeah, let's just go into the next room and fight. I've had enough of you, and he wins. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, I don't know. They just both these teams kind of work like that a little bit with other people, and they seem because they both work like that to be working even stiffer in this match somehow. But it comes off pretty well. There's not that many spots for us to point out. It's very normal stuff. Scott press slamming Booker is really impressive. Booker's a very heavy person. He makes it look like nothing. Rick with his typical barking uh, dog face gremlin stuff clearing the ring, but they forget where the hard camera is and face away from it. It's one of my only notes. I, I don't think that was a thing back then. That's that's a WWF thing from the last 15 years or so. You don't think that was something that was taught back then? No, I don't think so. Hollywood is yeah. quite good at it for someone that wasn't taught it. Right. I think part of it is they always, when they do that spot, they always face the guy on the outside and they kind of track mm. them, I think, is yep. kind of their psychology. Completely fair. Any spot you guys want to point out in general? As we said, it's kind of generic by the numbers. There's one big, there's one big one for me, and that's the bear hug when Booker yeah. manages to get the biggest jump I've ever seen for his axe kick. Yeah, that was fantastic. The double team move they usually do, but it was the highest jump I've ever think I've seen Booker do for the scissors kick. Well, I mean, like Scott must be about seven feet in the air, <laughs> like his yeah. head. So it's pretty that, impressive. Yeah, I, I love the I love the suplex from Rick Steiner. Like booker tries to do uh the harlem sidekick but he catches his leg and it's kind of like a reminiscent of it like a taz suplex like taz would do s- stuff like this but i thought rick look made it look awesome yeah yeah rick can get some real height on these throws he does some of them aren't even suplexes just like throws they look super impressive i was gonna say yeah no wonder a couple of booker's kicks in this match have insane jumps no wonder he's like pushed later he's like 
stupidly athletic. And I can remember that when he, in, in the invasion angle years later, I know the spinner in me is a bit of a joke, but he's just a really athletic guy. Our apathy towards this match makes it sound like it was bad, but it wasn't. It's just, we've seen this exact match from both teams before. We've got over it in the podcast, so I think we're just going to jump ahead to the ending sequence. So we get Booker and Rick in the ring going for the tags. Scott is the hot tag, clotheslines and suplexes for everyone. Rick hits the ring and deals with Ray, puts him to the outside of the ring. Scott hits the Frankensteiner on Booker, but celebrates for a bit too long. Vincent from the NWO runs down while Scott is celebrating and hits an elbow drop, making sure to make eye contact with the referee and give the DQ win to Harlem Heat. Kind of kind of weird ending. It's a dumb fucking ending. <laughs> well, I'm going to say I hate it because this breaks wrestling. If this was the case, every feud would just go like this. Or every faction that didn't want to lose a title, okay, just have my guys come down and slap me in the face. This breaks the fundamentals of wrestling and the logic. I, know, I didn't mind that we ignored that this was something heels could do, you know? Yeah, it doesn't bother me as much as, I, I guess, compared to you guys, because it makes me want the Steiners to kick the crap out of the NWO just even more now and just through everything they've gone through. At least they're kind of relevant. They're kind of connected to something because, you know, previous months we just watched them just kick the crap out of Morris and Conan. I'd rather have them do something like this than dominate other teams. I'm kind of in between. Like, I don't like it, but the reason I don't like it is because it shouldn't be on a pay-per-view. Like, I, sure. I, I don't really have a problem with it being a means to an end, like you're suggesting. Just not on a pay-per-view. I'm not watching a pay-per-view to see the middle of stories for the vast majority of the time. <laughs> it also makes both teams look weak in different regards. Maybe the Steiners don't look that weak, but Harlem Heat do and NWO do. I would have much preferred something like a bunch of NWO members, plebs, hitting the ring and getting like a double DQ finish. Or, you know, Harlem Heat happened to win because they were the first ones hit, but have the NWO look tough. I, I guess the Steiners look okay coming out of this, but of course they catch Vincent after the match. And the most action we've ever seen Vincent in, he gets his ass kicked and finishes with a big really double clothesline as well. Yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty stiff. They were they were used to working with Harlem Heat, and they got the Steiner Bulldog to finish it off for a little bit of uh, vengeance and feel good. But I'm not sure why Vincent is out there alone when there's 107 NWO members. Because he doesn't matter, Dave. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually in, it's actually kind of insulting to the Steiners that like. <laughs> Hall and Nash aren't even bothered to come out and interfere. They're just like, yeah, you go do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is a very weird interference. I wouldn't have even mind Vincent like on the ramp distracting the Steiners in a roll-up. It's just a very weird loophole to hit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's too clever for itself. For sure. Yeah, you, you think like this seems almost like Russo booking because Russo always loved those like, you know, let, let's let's use the wrestling rules against itself type of thing to, yeah. to further a storyline. Yeah, you won't see it anywhere else. This is the first time you've seen that type of interference. There's a reason it's the first time. It's bad. It's real bad. We'll, we'll go on to our next match. Third match of the night, we get uh, the hotly anticipated, uh, hopefully blow-off match <laughs> oh. between Conan and you, Mars. It's your favorite. Yeah, my two favorite wrestlers, and they're oh. still on pay-per-views. Oh, man. Read the build-up for this one. This one's great. <laughs> yeah, of course, we saw Conan leaving the Dungeon of Doom, turning on his partner, Hugh Morris. Conan explains that he left because it took over a year to take out Benoit, which he could have done in a week, I think he says. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a reasonable excuse. I want to stop watching Benoit matches because it's taken over a year for the storyline to conclude. 
but he says he's lost all respect for Sullivan's leadership. Also, their feud seems to be about brooms somehow, which you've watched the Nighters, Connor. Does that make any sense? How, how does that kind of factor I was, in? I was hoping you guys would have an answer for me because I was like, <laughs> very few times have I seen brooms in the, like wrestling rings before. I'm like, I... I had to put that in the show notes because it was like... Did it happen like over several weeks that they were using the brooms or was it just one in particular? Uh, it was two weeks in a row. So two one weeks person in got row, hit by a, One person got hit by a broom one week. The other person got hit by a broom the other week. So this buildup is really weird just because like listening to that promo after Conan was done, I'm like, so is shouldn't Conan be feuding with Sullivan now? And <laughs> obviously this match is not great. So I, I think mostly what we should talk about is just like the weird kind of booking because... When somebody leaves a faction, they're usually supposed to be like kind of face because the Dungeon yeah. of Doom is a heel faction. It's this weird booking of Conan is actually the heel still and Morris is, I guess, the face? Is Conan supposed to be like a tweener at this stage? I don't know. It's very weird. I like that he's getting out and I don't mind them giving him a feud on the way out to build on because as much as I dislike Conan... Getting yourself away from the dungeon and trying to make yourself a character is super important, right? They give him the weirdest member to feud with. We don't know if he's face or heel or what he's trying to do. I mean, he doesn't really have any other option. If Sullivan's out, (laughs) he's literally the only other guy. So, Mm. I mean, Conan still has no character beyond shouting Orale and Viva la Mexico. Which I, uh, yeah, that that gets the American crowd hot. Not really sure what that's supposed uh, supposed to really go for, but... Yeah, if you know you'll get that uh you'll get that heat off the American crowds by saying, you know, go Mexico. <laughs> the worst thing anyone can say. <laughs> it is weird and it's still very underdeveloped and almost harshly stereotypical, his character at the moment. It does get better, it gets more distinct in the next couple of years, but this is still a pretty rough patch for Conan. I don't even want to talk about the match, like it's that bad. <laughs> There's one thing I want to notice I about mean, Morris, uh, because I give him a lot of bad press because of the bad reputation he has now and the scrubby things he's done in the industry. But he's quite an athletic athletic guy. He just has a terrible gimmick. I think he's awful in this. (laughs) He is awful in this. And one of the reasons he's awful and I've written down is he knows he's athletic. So instead of doing like one drop kick and the crowd going, wow, this guy that was doing big guy moves can also drop kick. He does like four or five drop kicks and his finisher's a moonsault. And he's just wrestling like he's an average sized guy so it wears off real quick you see him do a nice drop kick one trick that's cool okay he's just doing lots of them uh, and they're getting sloppier as the match goes on because he's getting tired and yeah it's not why tired, he, done more- he is annihilated within two minutes of this match yeah he is he is <laughs> busted with it and you know considering that all he did in his training camps was make people run for seven days it's you, <laughs> it's so bad dusty manages to call it out like <laughs> dusty is the one that points out he's tired like <laughs> well commentary has to because both conan isn't as tired but both men are very obviously tired and getting very sloppy within two minutes of the match so commentary just has to be like, yeah, two big guys, you know, they, they get tired. That's what happens. They get gassed. <laughs> and even better, when Co- Conan tries a hold like and fails terribly, yeah. and the commentators have to point out, oh, Morris is too big for the hold. So basically what you're saying is Morris is fat and Conan <laughs> is stupid for trying. What What did you think he was trying to do there? The When he just like holds up his calf in a nice gentle stretch? <laughs> when he's trying to like stand on top of him. 
and he's got like is it is it meant to be like a leg triangle or something and it's just i don't know the note i have here for multiple of his rest holds is conan doesn't know what a rest hold is and has just learned this morning because he does three of them in the match (laughs) all of them look awful and make no sense i don't know what he attempts to do the one you're talking about he like you morris is sitting up and conan stands over his neck so his head is squashed down then grabs his leg and tries to pull it towards his head. What? Who has ever done that? And what is it supposed to be? And then he just kind of falls backwards into a leg scissors when it doesn't work. Another one is he sits on Umaris's back, reaches back and grabs his leg and pulls it towards him. But not a lot, just so Yu's leg is bent. Slightly. So he's just doing some kind of quad stretch for Umaris while he's down. And he's like, ah, taste it. Do you what? think uh, do you think DDP, do you think DDP was watching and gone yoga? That's how I, I say do yoga. <laughs> this is the inspiration for DDP yoga. I can I can believe it. it. It's just really weird for a guy that's been wrestling for a good while now, like Conan, that his rest holds are so sloppy. Like rest holds are the easiest thing to master in wrestling. He's <laughs> wrestling one hundred and one. Mm. And Andy has a submission finisher right now, too. So. Oh, his submission finisher is so bad. The best of all time, I know. Oh, to the Kira, <laughs> the, the Kira Sunrise, which we'll, again... We'll, we'll get, we'll, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to it. Yeah. The, the only other notes I have is, I know we're jumping back and forth, but I have the entrances. I like Conan's Cypress Hill ripoff music. And does you, Morris, shout Chucky Ducky? Yes, he does, As he Dave. goes to the ring? Yes, he does. He does? So that's where Booker right. gets it from? <laughs> On Steve McMichael, and we were at a sold out sleep center in Boston, Massachusetts, and we were. He absolutely says Shucky Ducky. <laughs> I'm like, what? what does that mean? <laughs> He's crazy, Dave. You can't, you can't. Who knows what he'll do next? Except get really tired in this match. God, this match is so bad, it made me realize something. This particular ref, he really bothers me. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed him. Is this the larger he's, individual ref? He's a larger individual, yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> he's, which one you're uh, about. yeah, losing hair. He wears like really baggy clothes. And <laughs> I'm sure it's unfair for me to criticize compared to like Kurt refs because, like, in, part- in particular, like refs from USC, like those guys are jacked. Like, yeah. They're actual fighters. Like <laughs> actual fighters. It looks like they're in control of the match. This guy just takes me out of the match every time I see him ref a match from now on. It, the, the, the glass is broken every time I see him. It's just awful. Your eyes glaze oh, over. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> no. Well, that's, that's part of the problem with WCW. It's like, oh, we need to pay attention to the ref. And they even talk. I think there's a point in the match where like, all right, that, that count was a little so. No, I think it was fine. It was, it's consistent. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's not great. But again, like that, the commentary, they need to point out something because there's just nothing to this match. The crowd is so confused and they, they kill just them. don't care. They kill the crowd. Yeah. Absolutely stone dead. The crowd are booing Boatman at the end and not in a fun, we don't like either of your character. Literally, we're bored. Stop. Like when there's a winner, they don't cheer or boo. They're just like, yep, that was a wrestling match, I guess. <laughs> and it kills the crowd. Yeah, I don't know if you want to go in the finish right now, but yeah, the finishing sequence is just... It's embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. You, Morris, goes for a moonsault for the finish. And he is no, up la- there. no laughing I- matter. No laughing matter, it's called. No laughing matter. Yeah. Not at all. That's the move. It's what the move called, oh and it's, it's a respectable move. Oh. 
You Morris is up there, and I rewound it to make sure for ten years. He's standing on that top rope for ten years. Conan does a little sit up to see where you is, sees he's First. on the top turnbuckle, yeah, yeah. lies back down, gets back up, and then sweeps Morris's feet. <laughs> Morris is just waiting there like an idiot for Conan to remember his cue for what is ten years. Morris gets hit in the head by the turnbuckle, then Conan rolls him over and locks in the tequila sunrise, which Best finisher of all time. Is some kind of monstrosity. <laughs> it's like an STF where someone gave up halfway. It's the best way I can describe the tequila sunrise. <laughs> you doesn't tap because he's too tough. He passed out from hitting his head on the turnbuckle was what the, the gimmick of the match was. Which in that case why didn't Conan notice and just pin him? <laughs> just fantastic wrestling from bell to bell. I was honestly waiting like all month for Dave's reaction. On this match. <laughs> it's so bad. Brilliant. Oh, the finish makes me mad. Like the rest holds and the match being bad. I'm like, okay, they're just two bad wrestlers. And you know what? They have been wrestling for a while, but neither of them hit their quote unquote peak. Both of them have better runs in different places, but that finish Conan looks at him twice and does a sit-up and lies back down. There's no protecting of the industry at all. <laughs> Not one ounce of it. It's just Dave, disrespect. Protector of the kayfabe. <laughs> <laughs> so the dirt sheets say Conan apparently injures his knee during the match. I call bullshit on it because he's yeah, back no wrestling way. next week. No way so, he injured himself. <laughs> no, oh. I know. Again, it's weird. Like when he was with the Wolfpack, I used to like love him. Even like watching some of his what was it, filthy animals crap or whatever it was? Yeah, the like, filthy it was animals still, stuff. Like, he's okay. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's just he like, certainly gets better. He he does get better as much as I dislike him. And there is a middle point where he's quite entertaining, and just his character is well developed, and his matches are short. He also gets a lot more jacked, if I remember. He gets like mm. bigger. Yeah, maybe. Until then, I'm taking many swigs of beer. (laughs) (laughs) We'll move on from this monstrosity, even though some of the worst matches are the best ones to talk about. This next segment, though. No. Comedy throws it back to Gene, who's on top of the ramp, and he tells us about the hotline. He tells us that a man will be showing up in Chicago for Nitro tomorrow, and he's having problems with his quote-unquote organization. Gene can't share the man's name now for security reasons, but... If you're kind enough to call him, he'll tell you. He'll tell you at the kindness of his heart on the hotline that he is showing. Do you, do you know who this is? No, actually. Do you know, Connor? Kurt? Is this Kurt or is this something else? I'm pretty sure that's Raven. Mm. Okay. Pretty okay. Because sure. there's a lot of different things. Like, I know they were trying to get Tyson around this time. Mm. Kurt Hennig is coming soon. And yeah, I, I know Raven. He's still in contract disputes as well. Yeah. I do love Raven. But that's not the weirdest thing Gene has to talk about or endure. <laughs> oh, no. I, don't, I don't think Gene actually gets a say in this, to be fair. Gene has to do an interview with the public enemy, a favorite of the podcast, and they bring out a table for Gene to sit on. <laughs> Gene at one point asks both gentlemen not to sit at the table at the same time, or they might end up like looking like the victims of their attacks. I space out for a large part of this, but I do get to figure out something I've been puzzling for a while. And what is the public enemy's gimmick? Their gimmick is that they're idiots. That is all. And that is all they show in this segment, that they are morons. Listen, the only thing you really need to know about this promo is they go on for so long that the production crew play their music to stop them. They, they do the Oscar 
Yeah. So, uh, strategy? Yeah. Yeah. They all like they them. start playing the music midway through the promo because they're like, fuck, this, this has gone on too long. I, I forgot because this, yeah. this promo is so bad. Yeah. It's so awkward when Gene tries to do the waves, when he tries to wave his hand side to side. <laughs> I'm like, Gene, please don't do that. It's, and it's, it, yeah, it's hard to make sense of this promo. I, th- I think a line was, my flippendidimus is flip or something. <laughs> I don't even know what he was trying to say. One, one of the lines which I liked is, we're not scared of Harlem Heat. And then the other guy goes, I'm scared of Harlem Heat. <laughs> not. <laughs> that was over. I think I could have been over in the was, early 90s. It was Johnny Grunge that was uh, that said that said he was scared, by the way. I can't believe you don't know his name. <laughs> Are they not uh, both the same person? It's Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge. How did you not know their names? <laughs> I don't know which one's which. <laughs> Rocco Rock is the black-haired honest. one and Johnny Grunge is the blonde-haired one. There you go. Yeah. Mm, I'm going to forget go. that minutes from now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably best you do. I love how Tony says public enemy has been overlooked. Come on, Tony, don't don't lie to don't lie to us. <laughs> yeah, he's like maybe maybe they are right. Maybe they're overlooked. Maybe they shouldn't have a contract. But let's not get into maybe world at the moment, Tony. I'll, the only bit of credit I'll give for them, not for the promo, is that at least the story makes a bit of sense. In that they're trying mm-hmm. to get over that they had the tag titles and then they've just been ignored, and they probably should have had a rematch or whatever. And they're like, we want the belts. That's what they're trying to get across anyway. Yeah, right, it, it takes right. them 10 minutes. Whether or not it works. I think what's just more awkward is like this is pay-per-view and it's like we need a public enemy promo on this pay-per-view to get get this going. Put this on Nitro. Don't waste our time, please. We need to fill time, guys. What's the best thing we can do the next four minutes? Uh, send out public enemy. Send out the two white dudes. <laughs> the, the best part of this promo is... Brain at the start going, I hope they put uh, Gene through the table. Because <laughs> then I was like, yeah, that's what I hope happens. Bobby too. just doesn't give a fuck sometimes. It's great. It's fantastic. We move on from this to uh, maybe the best match of the night. Glacier versus Rats, fourth match of the night. Build up is the exact same as the last time we saw Glacier in the ring. Exact same feud against. Uh, they give the stable a name. They call them the Terrible Trio at one stage. Wow. But Vanderberg works for the Museum of uh, is it Oddities. Really? Wow. wow. <laughs> I, did not, I did not listen to this oh, match. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Museum of something that <laughs> Vandenberg works for. But then he said, but then the backstory to, to Mortis is he's a fighter that used to wrestle, but then had to go fight in Asia, and now he's scarred in his face. Why is that in a Museum of Oddities? He's just a guy that fought people. No, he had That's to not eat. odd. He had to go fight because he was suspended for wrestling. God. Yeah, that's true. Sorry, that is true. God. Too dangerous for wrestling. And he had to go fight in the pits, but is now back in WCW. Uh, sure. <laughs> fair, fair, okay. Keeping in mind this this person isn't even wrestling uh, at the current point in time. He's been, it's just... he's been handcuffed to the corner of the ring, which they fuck up and they have to do it twice. <laughs> I love that these two are supposed to be monsters, actual exhibits from museums. <laughs> and Mortis can't shake off two frumpy security guys. Mortis goes, I don't want this, throws his hands in the air because he's supposed to be handcuffed because of J.J. Dillon's orders, and he goes to back out, and the two security guys just grab him and stop him. He's like, oh, don't touch me. But they do touch him, and they put him in handcuffs. He's supposed to be this monster. He just looks pathetic. Also, if you're going to handcuff someone, why handcuff them to the ring? Why not handcuff them somewhere else if you don't want them to interfere? <laughs> now he's right next to the ring. He can't be anywhere but right next to the ring to interfere. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He has to watch the important helmet. That's why. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. they give the helmet a backstory. So <laughs> they, gave, know, they gave the helmet a backstory during the start of the match. And the backstory is that Glacier was actually just like a normal guy. And his like dad and stuff was a cop, but he wanted to be... It's just basically, uh, there's a Mortal Kombat character with this exact same backstory. <laughs> and instead of becoming a cop, he goes to train... And he was like the best fighter in his dojo. So his master gave him this Johnny helmet. Chan or someone? It's yeah, it's someone like that in right, Mortal right. Kombat. God, it's, rips it's Zero cans, Johnny Cage. Yeah. Well, it's not Cage because Cage is like a movie star that the does it. Yeah. There's an actual guy in, in number two or three that's like a cop that went off to do martial arts because the rest of his family were cops or something. Sure. Whatever. Equally as interesting yeah. as the black story. <laughs> And that's why they have the helmet, because it means like, a lot to him, because it's the symbol of him being the best in his dojo. This is all being described as the match is going on. I think I could hear Bobby Heenan's eyes roll and the match that had taken place 20 years ago. <laughs> Tanae is, is out instead of Dusty. And again, I'm so thankful, because Dusty cannot control himself in these matches. Yeah, it's weird. Like, Tanae's out for the match, but, like, it's really just Tony calling the match by himself, because it's like, do we really have to call this silly shit? That that's that's what I was thinking that they were thinking. The match itself was fine. Like again, right? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm sorry. I, I'm not meaning to discredit oh, the yeah. match, but yeah, just trying to get over this silly storylines and yeah. It- Glacier is this big like because he doesn't do anything else. Of course, both Mortis and Rat go on to different things and are known for those things in their careers. But Glacier never moves on to something else. So he's this butt of jokes for WCW. But he's like an average to above average wrestler. This match is better than Conan and you Morris. And both of them have very successful careers in the wrestling later, believe it or not. It's just unfortunate for the people involved. Yeah, it is. Cause Glacier has a sweet entrance. Cause he's, I mean, lasers, come on. Lasers are yeah. super over. Lasers and snow. Like and snow. snow and less like snow that. this time. Well, yeah, less they've this clearly time. realized that he's not doing as well as they'd hoped. So the budget <laughs> is gradually being taken away from him. <laughs> So I, I made this comment before the podcast to you guys, but I think Rat is kind of like Kane before Kane happens. He's kind of quiet. He's kind of big. He has a similar move set, maybe a bit more. I don't think he's a good enough of a big guy. He sells a little too much for my liking for someone that's supposed to be, again, a supernatural oddity. So a bit of back and forth in the ring. Glacier is getting his kind of mix of martial arts slash wrestling style together. A lot of open palm strikes. On the outside, Glacier chases Vandenberg, but VDB hides behind Mortis. Uh, Glacier hits a super kick on the outside, which is technically his finish. And commentary have to play it up like, oh, he didn't hit it, or usually his opponent is like running his way. But I think Glacier's kind of forgot that that's identical to his finish. Mortis tries to grab Glacier's feet numerous times for, to distract him. As we knew, he's right next to him. It's exactly what he's there for. This lets Rat go for Powerbomb. When Glacier tries to reverse, Rat drops him on the top rope, which I thought looked pretty cool. For a big guy, Rat is pretty acrobatic as well. He does a senton on the apron to a standing Glacier, which I thought was pretty impressive. And he does the, I like to call it the Raven's clothesline off the top. Kane used it for a long time in his earlier run, and he does it pretty well. Yeah, I agree. And he does kind of like the Vader salt. It's not like a Vader salt, but he does like an elbow drop, but it's that kind of like he bounces off the second rope type of thing, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, and unlike Hugh Morris, who I picked on in the last match, he's not doing it every couple seconds. He's pretty methodical, and then all of a sudden we'll pull out a big move, which I think makes it more impressive. Glacier stumbles into the ref while 
Arat is on the top rope, and this leads to him getting crotched. And I don't think a ref has ever looked more disappointed in himself. His just whole head drops. He looks up at Arat, down at Glacier, and just down at himself and shakes his head. He is disappointed in the poor job he's he's done. (laughs) (laughs) This lets Glacier hit a superplex from the top. Mortis is on the apron to distract the ref, but Glacier punches him right in his green face. Next, VDB is up to distract the ref. This lets Mortis throw a chain into the ring. But Glacier gets it instead and clocks Rat twice while VDB steals the handcuff keys from the referee. Glacier gets a three count from the chain hits, but this leads to a beatdown and attack from all three members of, uh, I think it's Terrible Trio? Sure. I can't remember what they, they <laughs> some kind of name like that. The ref tries to stop it, but they beat down a cuffed Glacier in the corner. More referees come down and this for some reason makes some stop. Again, supernatural beings. Let's not forget that uh, WCW misses the ending first time around. They have to show them. Oh, completely misses it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you didn't you didn't put that in, Dave. Uh, there was supposed to be some kind of finishing maneuver. I, I assume Glacier did the cryonic kick, but <laughs> yeah, but we just totally miss it. Instead, we get like a close up of you get a replay of a pin. <laughs> it's like well, it's like Vanderberg and Nick Patrick. Like it's a close up of like him grabbing his dick or something. I don't know what is happening. <laughs> he gets the key from his pocket. But yeah, probably sure, also sure. that. But in the end, it looks like the key just kind of like falls out of his pocket. He doesn't even yeah. take it. Like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he only hits him with the chain twice. I don't think he even hits a finish. He just hits him with a chain, does it again, I think. We'll never know. We'll, ne- we'll never know. It's a mystery in time now. Also, Mortis struggles to get out of the handcuffs because he needs to bring the whole handcuff with him, the cuff glacier. But he uh, drops the key like three times. Also, again, there's four referees in the ring dividing. You've cuffed a man to the corner to beat the crap out of him, and you let three tiny referees stop you. Supernatural beings from the void. <laughs> You're thinking about this too hard. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. I was expecting a run-in by Ernest Miller. He hasn't really been talked about. Yeah, on like why? That's what I was confused. I was like, oh, he's just not there. Great. Commentary build it up as well. They're like, he needs help. He can't do this without help. There's too many people. I'm like, oh, Ernest Miller's going to run down and uncuff him. Oh, he should have got some help for that match. Okay, <laughs> thanks. It's just like another thing about this pay-per-view. It's, just, it's a pointless match to the feud. Nothing has changed. Finally, we get the blow-off match next pay-per-view. Finally, just give us something different. This is. It feels like it's been the same for like a year, even though this has only been like, what, three months? Yeah. The, my biggest qualm is the match is pretty mediocre, but the storyline is too. It's why isn't there a massive beatdown at the end? Why is it a couple punches and all oh, we'll leave that Glacier guy alone? We hate him deep down to our hearts. But two or three punches and these referees are breaking us up. We should go. We should leave. The, why, why isn't he just like beaten to an inch of his life? Why isn't there a few finishing moves to him? Mid-card. It's the mid-card. <laughs> mid-card and every other match they've had, that's what it's been like. So They're not allowed. Yeah. We go on to a pretty special match next. Fifth match of night. Akira Hokuto versus Medusa. This is a rematch. We've seen this feud go out. And it's kind of Medusa versus Ono almost feud and her pursuit for the women's title. Ono goads Medusa to putting her career on the line for another title shot against Hokuto. Fortunately, women's match means Tony the Tiger is out for commentary. Fortunately. And he is not great. (laughs) Fortunately. he is not. (laughs) You're also way, way more kind than I was, uh, Connor. You have Lee Marshall is awful. I have 
Fuck Lee Marshall. (laughs) (laughs) He is not fantastic at his job. Medusa, of course, in her already Americanized outfit, goes great with the Great American Bash kind of team, gets Pyro in a pretty good reception from the crowd. And Ono's out with Hokuto, so of course, booed out of the arena. How dare she be foreign? Hokuto also comes out with the, I think it was like her Starcade outfit. Where yeah, it's like the, the Vader mask and things. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, the steampunk Eskimo look. Looks great every time I see it. I love it. Yeah, fantastic. Hokuto, I have here, works very stiff in this match. Starts off the match with a huge slap to the face. Vicious looking, some really nasty looking hair drags, and a, one, again, one of my favorite moves, the hangman sleeper from the top rope. Lots of choking maneuvers, lots of dragging her knees and elbows across Medusa's face, getting that cheap heat. Yeah, that pile driver looked pretty, mm-hmm. pretty stiff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in general, she's from this generation of Japanese wrestlers that works very stiff. There's also, there's a common industry thing where both Mexican and Japanese women tend to work stiff. It's just they're kind of fighting for recognition thing, and I think it's just generational. Medusa gives some really nice uh, punches back later in the corner, hits a couple sling blades, some nice-looking missile drop kicks, stiff punches in the corner. You can tell they had a bit of pepper behind them. I think this match is starting off nicely. They're given a lot more time this time, and it's very similar to their first encounter, except it seems a lot less rushed. Crowd's just way more into the match yep. in general. I mean, thanks to the uh, previous segment and the previous match, this is just way more interesting to watch, yep. for sure. I have... <laughs> that's exactly my note. Is like, Hokuto able to generate more heat than last two matches combined because she has some form <laughs> yeah. of character and ability and knows what she's doing. Uh, <laughs> there's an actual match coming on. And people care about Medusa, so seeing her beat down is meaningful. I was scared that the Hugh Morris match was going to kill the crowd forever, but this gets them back into the pay-per-view. They certainly weren't in it for the Glacier match, but they are back into it now. Medusa does a Ric Flair-esque flip onto the apron when she's whipped into the corner, kicks Hokuto in the head, and goes for an axe handle from the top rope, but hurts her knee in the meanwhile, and it becomes a major selling point in the match. Letting Hokuto work on the knees, she goes for a Mexican surfboard, and one of the better ones we've seen. Very well locked in surfboard. Looked fantastic. She took her time with it as well. It was a nice build up. Medusa throughout this match too. I know we were very critical about her screaming on the previous, <laughs> I, if it was the previous episode. I thought this level of screaming was good stuff though. It helps that Hokuto's offense also fits that, but yeah. it wasn't over the top. Like I think like last time where it was like, what, where is this coming from? Yeah, her selling was super believable to a point once or twice. I'm like, has she jacked up her knee a bit? She hits a handstand Rana and a powerbomb while selling the knee the entire time, hopping on it every time she's done with the move, which I really like. I hate when they sell it and then do a bunch of moves without recognizing it's hurt. And after a missed tree count, she clutches her knee straight after and lets Hokuto gain an advantage. So she's selling it the entire time and becomes the focal point of the whole match which I think selling should to way too many people forget it. Hokuto locks on a knee bar, and this is where a lot of the screaming comes in that you were talking about, Connor. She really looks in a lot of pain during this. Her eyes are welling up. Her screams are super believable. She's like kicking and clawing at Hokuto, though some of that is because of some real things she's doing in between. Medusa also hits a German with a bridge, 
But Ono is in to pull the bad leg out. And even pulling out of her bad leg makes her sell it and she has to hold it and clutch it as she stands back up. Favorite spot of the match. I love that too, just because Medusa really sells the moment too. Because she, when she always does the German, she bridges up like very, yeah, very extremely pointed. on her toes. Yeah. 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 So it, it looks very believable that you can just easily just sweep the leg very quickly just with your arm. Yeah, sweeps the leg, yanks out of the bad knee, so she actually sells it. She doesn't just go, oh, you dastardly manager and complain. She's actually hurt, which is believable for breaking up a pin. And this allows Hokuto to start standing on the inside of Medusa's legs, which is, uh, she is trying to hit the knee, but I made the point before the cast, is really nasty. She, you can tell she's just putting all her weight on Medusa's tie, her inside her tie. And it's just hurting her. Medusa's just punching Hokuto in the leg for real and telling her to get off. And after the third time of doing it, Medusa just grabs both of Hokuto's legs and sweeps them from under her so she'll stop. It looks kind of nasty. I don't know if you guys noticed this. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was good. It was good work. Like, it's like, yeah, she knew what was wrong. She went right at it. Like, I think it's good. I just think it's also real. I think she's just really hurting her a bit to try and get the selling over. I mean, here's a secret, Dave. Wrestling hurts. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I I do agree with you. She probably has no qualms about mixing it in a little bit more rough than normal, but I think it it works and it's good. Yeah, it looks great. Hokuto goes off the top, but Medusa gets her legs up. She's screaming again as she tries to get up as she gets her leg up hobbling on it. She hits another sling blade and tries for a back suplex, but this time her leg buckles. Hokuto hits her finish. We're going to call it the side Mishinoku driver because we cannot actually find what she called it for a surprise win. You know, usually when it's career versus title, you know who's going to win going in, but Medusa loses her career, I guess. It's very strange. Literally, literally actually. (laughs) Yeah. I very rarely have seen a face lose these. And when they do, they're just back the next night to make the authority figure hire them back, you know? So this was very strange. And if I if I hadn't looked forward a bit and known about the women's division before we start recording these, I would have bet a lot of money on Medusa winning this match. Right. Oh, yeah. Or, or like you said, her coming back very quickly. Because another thing that Medusa does just like amazing, like obviously she sells during the match, but afterwards she really shows the emotion after the match, really sells the emotion, the moment. I think like that's like what I love about women's wrestling the most. It's it, I know it's kind of weird to say like women are more open to crying and like really showing like true emotion. I don't know what it is. They put so much work into this and it means a lot and it really helps give gravity to the match. Yeah, they're, they're probably shoot tears as well. Right. She she knew uh, apparently she knew she wasn't coming back after this. She was going to take a hiatus, so she must be upset. She did a. She burnt a pretty big bridge to get here, and for them not to make a women's division for her, for them not to like book her particularly well and give her two minute matches, that must have been super disappointing. I feel really bad. This this match was given some time, and it was a great match. I thought so one or two botched spots, but just a great match overall. Yeah, I'm I'm glad because the last one we watched was Hokuto and Fashan, wasn't it? It was Fashan and Medusa. Medusa. Or Medusa and Fashan. Sorry, and um. I, I wanted to watch that for longer, so it was good to get a little bit more time. It had some decent pacing. And it shows you like that it's 20 years on and like they're all going on about uh, every, women can wrestle now and stuff. They always could. It's just they never got time. They weren't given time. So Yeah, like, even looking at the four people in the business here at the moment, you have Jacqueline, you have Sean, you have Medusa, and you have Hokuto. 
they could have fantastic matches. <laughs> they just won't let them, and it's just not their priority. And that's a that's a real shame. <laughs> I, I've just I've just looked at my notes, and I'm aware of uh, me and Jean's reaction to getting booed from the crowd is is quite choice after this as well. Yeah. So straight after we get uh, Jean trying to interview Medusa, she's brought to the back by two paramedics. She's crying and tells Jean to leave her alone and pushes away the mic. The crowd start chanting, leave her alone to Jean. And Jean does not enjoy it. Jean's like, do you realize what has happened? What the fuck? I'm like, of course. Yes, the crowd it? knows exactly what just happened. You're being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a real ass to her for some reason. And the commentary are just ginormous asses to her. Bobby immediately, he kills it. <laughs> yeah. Straight away when she loses, she's like, oh, she's probably one wondering if uh, if she'll order fries when she goes to the drive-thru later. <laughs> Stuff like, Wow. <laughs> Later on in the night, just in a random match, it's like, yeah, she's probably making ceramic cuts now. I'm like, wow. Oh, Bobby's God. been waiting all this time. For, he's like all this built up in his body. Yeah, oh. he really heals it up for this. And the other commentary, like Tony, uh, sorry, uh, I was going to say Tony the Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, Lee Marshall kind of breaks it. The rest of them are quite emotional. And Lee just, yeah, she's a fantastic athlete. Lee, make it sound like you're sad at all. Make it sound like you have any other emotion that's not, they're great. You know, it's... I mean, I'm pretty sure Tony's is worse, though. Tony's is, like, the faux, like, caring, where he's like, oh, yeah, I can't believe this is happening. He's like, yeah, but he keeps going. But, I mean, she's lost her career now, so she can't do anything. And you're like... <laughs> the best <laughs> was halfway through the night, Tony's like, we'll make sure to get you an update on Medusa's medical condition. And <laughs> Brain's like... Why? She doesn't work here anymore. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. She doesn't work here anymore. Oh, no, and Cody's no. like, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> uh, Kidding aside, though, yeah, this so, spoiler, yeah, this is the last match for women's wrestling is just, like, absent at this time in wrestling. It's really weird. And it's really sad that Medusa, she, I mean, she eventually comes back, not until 1999. And I have noted that she wrestles Mang at one point. Mang, it's awful. I mean, she's wrestling wow. in like evening gown matches, and then she's wrestling men in like these weird. I don't even want to go into it because it's it's Vince Russo bullshit at this time. It's just it's a sad way to end a career. It's just a sad state when you when we when we're going back and looking at this stuff. One thing I found out, which was kind of weird, so she was obviously blacklisted for a long time after this, up until very in very recent history. Apparently, she was let go from WWE. My impression and the way the history has been told for years was that she jumped ship and she took the title. But no, WWE kind of let her know that they didn't have plans for her and they were releasing her. So she happened to have the title at the time and went away with it. But they had no plans to kind of use her either. So poor Medusa has been known as this like heel, this like mythological start to the wars and a big F you to WB. She's just trying to make some money and be a decent wrestler. And no one will let her be. It's really sad. I, I want to go back and see if she has some like really good matches. Cause she showed some real promise. Yeah. It, when, when we started doing this podcast, I was not expecting to be wowed by her. I don't know what that says about me as, as a wrestling fan, but it's just, I, I knew they weren't going to treat it properly. And I mean, they didn't to an extent, but at the same time, I, we got some quality matches that I was not expecting. Yeah, yeah. I think we're yeah. all probably in the same boat in that the expectation was for quite average to poor women's wrestling because of how little it's represented. But 
it's better than certain other matches we've watched Sunday, that's for sure <laughs> De- definitely and i think part of it too is i watch the nitros and the women are very underrepresented on the nitros but for some reason they get pay-per-view time which is kind of an odd balance i mean it's cool because they get the big spotlight but at the same time like the national tv spots they have very short time on the national level so it's just it's it's this weird use of using your talent it feels like they paid her so much money because they wanted that statement, that drop the title in the bin kind of statement. And then they're like spending so much money on her, so they might as well put her on pay-per-views and put her to quote-unquote use. But yeah, I, I think she just got used, essentially, and is a sad victim of the of the wars. We'll try and go on to something a bit more lighthearted, if it could be called lighthearted. <laughs> and we get Light, match number six of the night. That's your cue? Jeez. <laughs> Transitions. That's why I'm the host, gentlemen. Emma <laughs> versus Meng for what's been dubbed a return death match. This is, of course, the never-ending story. It's what that movie was about. Emma versus Sullivan feud. <laughs> we get this match because Emma wants his hands on Sullivan so bad that Jimmy Hart puts obstacles in his way. First, we get Barbarian, who he takes out. With a crippler, big deal is made out of him tapping the barbarian. Uh, and then Benoit says he'll beat anyone Jimmy has to get to Sullivan. Man comes out, locks in the deck grip like he did for their last death match. Or de- deck grip, Tongan deck grip, are we yeah, going with? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Benoit needs to go true Mang to get to Sullivan. Fun fact, this story started years before I was born and will be raging on years after I die. Uh, don't, don't know about that now. <laughs> Honestly, I think like this part of the feud is like been the most enjoyable. Yes. I 100%. wish they started by doing this. Like you need to go through the dungeon members yeah. to get to me instead of Benoit. He's wrestled Ben Sullivan, what, five times yeah. now or something? He's had at least three matches I'd consider blow off matches. Like complete end to feud. And then all of a sudden next week, oh, we're still feuding. It's we're, it's, so we're working backwards here, but we're moving forwards as we're like, we're getting Benoit to a point where he is becoming the wrestler that we want to be. Like he's improving his arsenal. He has a real finisher. Now he's actually beating legitimate people. He's making legitimate tough guys tap and he's becoming this like never die baby face. So finally we're getting to this point where the the character is coming alive. Although his tights always just bother me. I don't know. I don't think we've ever talked about (laughs) his tights. They're just really shitty tights. That's why. (laughs) Well, you, you, you notice that it, it looks like he's just taking a shit in his tights. Yeah, and that they've just, like, stapled a four onto the side of them. Like, he hasn't even bothered to buy new tights. They've just gone, ah, oh, just give me that number over there. That'll do. I can't afford to buy new tights. I honestly think the horseman is terrible for Benoit. Because I think he got into very bad promo habits from them that he's not able to pull off. I think his personality wasn't allowed to grow. So we're starting to see never give up gritty baby face super energetic kind of guy with his submissions and who we learned to love in later years. And that what that's not four horsemen. That's not four horsemen style. You gotta be suave, you've got to be a bit dirty, you gotta be cocky. And that's not Benoit and it well, never was. The horsemen aren't meant to be faces, realistically. Like No, not at all. So, right. It doesn't it doesn't fit at all. No, it doesn't fit. But even as a heel, he's better as like a crazy I wanna hurt you heel. Not as a, yeah, I'm going to win and I'm better than you kind of guy. It's- right, right. It's very important to note that Nancy's not out for this match. I don't know if that's long term, but it's definitely what you're saying, Dave. It's like a different, he's distancing himself away from the horseman. 
they haven't done like your horseman promo where like they're all doing their like bits in a row. They like they haven't done that like all month either. Still has it's music. It's only though. just been yeah, yeah, which is amazing. I mean, it's <laughs> excellent music. Don't get me wrong, but like it's still the horseman. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I like men men coming out and throwing up the uh, four horsemen four fingers and then slowly putting it down to tree. I, I thought that was kind of menacing and kind of cool. That's because Mang's a scary motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he could do anything I call it cool and menacing, to be fair. But even before Mang even gets into the ring, we get a sick suicide dive and Benoit hits him right on the button. Looks really cool with the camera angle we're getting as well. Right, right. So yeah, Gus, you've been shitting all over the camera got, all the time. Gotta, yeah, you gotta give credit where credit's due. This is an awesome camera angle. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly like Benoit is coming right down the camera for it. Straight away, Benoit scares off Jimmy, sends him scampering up the ramp, never comes back for some reason, and he hits a flying headbutt, immediately locks in the crossface, and he's trying to wear down Meng fast. I like the storytelling. Meng's a big guy. You can't let him get into fight. He's also fed up. He just wants Sullivan. He just wants to be done with this match. Meng, of course, powers out. After a quick exchange, Chris tries to lock in the Kripper again within a couple moments, but Meng gets to the rope. So you really like the psychology? I think it's fucking dumb. <laughs> really? So, so you have a you have a death match, which is uh, the commentary are so confused. The wrestlers are it's so confused vague. Yeah. What this match is, but it's a last man standing match. So why are you starting with your finisher and your your submission hold when it's obviously not going to work on a guy like Mang? Well, I I hate the I hate that match stipulations for numerous reasons. Well, agree. One being yeah. you you hate the person so much you want to kill them, but you're willing to let them lie there for ten seconds. Why wouldn't you just pick them up and hurt them some more? Why are you doing random 10 counts? It doesn't make why, any sense. Why is there a referee, Dave? <laughs> yeah, why is there a referee? It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, get a, the, get a clock out there. Yeah. It, it, that match is a terrible stipulation. I wish they just had like a Falls Count Anywhere match or a hardcore match or a cage match. Something. Something. You can put a stipulation on it, but this is one of the worst. Yeah, I'll agree with that. It, it, just, it just threw me off because it's like... Benoit is usually really good at building to, towards something, and he does that with Barbarian. If uh, that's a really good Nitro match to watch, excellent match because I mean we love Barbarian and Benoit. Like it, he really performs well in that match, and they build to the headbutt, they build to the crossface. Coming from that match to this, I was like, really, we're gonna kind of build from that, and I think the crowd just like it kind of takes them out of it too. Yeah, it is a bit unorthodox, but I like that it's different as well. Because okay. if he had just done, done the normal yeah. build-up of his finisher, I, that's what he's done every match. i got to agree with, with Connor, though, because the way you're constructing it now, they've nowhere for them to go unless they involve something bigger. And Fair. spoilers, they don't. Very quickly, what happens is, one, Meng doesn't have the moveset to really do this kind of match. And two, Benoit isn't quite over enough to really pull it together. So it kind of meanders because he's blown all the big spots very quickly at the beginning. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with the psychology lines up, but their movesets don't. The, the end of the match needs to be different and something grander. And I was expecting that. I was expecting some kind of sick crossface on the outside or chair shot or something. Again, spoilers, that does not come up. Action is fast and furious at the start. Only thing that kind of breaks it up for me is Benoit botches a suplex to the outside. It looks like Meng was not ready to take it, and he kind of drops Meng almost head first on the apron, and they both roll to the outside. Eh. I didn't think that was that bad. Meng shows off his ad- acrobatics with a big frog splash off the top. He he stays there for a pin, as anyone's trying to do, but has to be reminded by the ref to get up because it has to be a 10 count. 
which again breaks up the match. Meng is a monster. He wants to hurt Benoit. Why is he standing there patiently for 10 seconds? The whole storyline for the last two months is Meng is a monster. Not even the dungeon can control him. But a 10 count can. When they're back on the outside, a crowd member shouts, uh, get up, you pussy. And I assume he's talking <laughs> to Benoit and not Meng, because Meng has popped people's eyes out for this. Benoit hits a couple of Germans with bridges. Ref has to remind him again that it's uh, that it's no pins, and he gets eight counts for both of them. There's countouts all of a sudden halfway through the match. The ref starts doing countouts. I don't know. Seems easier than knocking someone out for 10 seconds, just putting him out of the ring for 10 seconds, but I'm not a wrestler. They don't even explain the rules to the referee. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Meng finally locks in the dreaded deck grip and hangs Benoit on the outside of the ring, but he eventually escapes. Meng goes for a, sp- a frog splash again. You can tell it's going to miss because he decides only to go to the second rope. Benoit uh, locks in the Kripper straight after, but Meng breaks out. Meng isn't up for a couple seconds before Benoit locks in again. This time he just gives up a little bit through it. And the third attempt, he locks it in for what feels like about an hour. And Meng passes out, doesn't tap, but passes out. I don't get why the match is just called then. Why is this not starting a 10 count? But the match is called and Benoit wins by submission. It felt like forever, like the this, even like the second time he applies the crossface, I'm like, really? Come on, yeah. can we get on with this? Like, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to having Meng tap out be a big such deal. a big deal, yeah. or or that he has to apply it so many times that he does eventually pass out. So I understand that, but by the end of the match, the crowd really doesn't care as much. Ultimately, I thought this was like a huge disappointment compared to their their previous match. Yeah, I just wish they were given any kind of normal match to work in. These rules just ruined it for me and made it confusing, I think. And yeah, I was expecting instead, I was expecting him to bust out with a crippler and some big moves since he started with all his finishes at the start. I like to call them Japanese finishers. It's when a Japanese wrestler once or twice a year busts out a very special move at a pay-per-view to put a big opponent away. And I was expecting that from Benoit, but it was just the fifth crippler that caught him. It's like new school WWF wrestling. It also just feels weird because the crossface is still very new. So that's why the crowd is not getting fully behind it. Obviously, like a couple years after this, the crowd would have been all over this. But it was just kind of weird timing. But we're still in the building phase for, for Benoit. So it, it's it's fine. We're, we're starting to see the spark of the Wolverine, right? The wrestler mm-hmm. that's a lot better a year or two from now. Yeah, kind of. To further on Connor's point as well, it's like I get they're trying to make a big deal of him making Meng tap out or pass out, whatever you want to call it. But the problem is that Meng's just a tag guy. Like, I know we've really enjoyed him and we've like, all oh, faces of fear are cool and they're really, really good matches and stuff. But he's essentially a dork for most people. He's just a guy from a tag team that doesn't really matter. So even though Benoit wins, this like brawl that's dragged out and they're constantly knackered and everything. Still just a random tag guy. It should make you care more about Chris, but it doesn't, I don't think. Well, part part of the problem with uh, this whole build up too, it's kind of like we know Benoit's gonna get to Sullivan type of thing. Yeah, that's also so true. it makes it makes Meng and Barbarian seem more like jobbers. Yeah, in, yeah. in, in a way. Well, that's the other thing. So, say after this, they pushed Meng. Maybe this was the start of Meng's push, and it showed how tough he was. That other people go down to one crippler, but he took five. But that's not the case. They just go back to being dorks. It didn't really make any sense. It makes Benoit look kind of weak in a sense because. It takes so much to take out Meng, who hasn't done anything, and he doesn't go on to do anything. It doesn't elevate Meng. It's just filler. 
Yeah, I mean, it, another problem I have with the match is um, the commentary. They really don't do a good job of selling it either, I don't think. And it just comes across as just another match. Like, I don't think they go to any great length to really make them seem like they're killing each other or ruining each other. It's just paint-by-numbers commentary again. Well, does the next does the next moment, like, help it, or does it ruin it even more It, for it does it a little bit, but it, it ruins it somewhat because of how WCW it is. <laughs> Mm, ruins yeah. it so much it makes <laughs> it no away, sense so a bunch of referees hit the ring check on Meng who's passed out which makes sense but instead of doing anything to help him one of the referees talks about how he was in a crippler actually makes the hand it signal was, it was Nick Patrick crippler across face. give him a name <laughs> yeah Nick Patrick <laughs> oh I hate Nick Patrick <laughs> while talking to another ref he's like yeah he was in the crippler ilk mean crippler what <laughs> Why is he out there? He's not a paramedic. <laughs> Benoit gets brought out <laughs> on a stretcher and a neck brace. Nothing was done to his neck. <laughs> I have no idea. He didn't take like any punishment in that. Man, Barry got him. He got like <laughs> the deck grip for a couple of seconds. Apparently, they only own one stretcher. Yeah. Instead of stretching yeah. out the unconscious yeah. man, they have to bring Benoit to the back. Bring him. <laughs> bring the stretcher all the way back to bring Meng out. It's so bushly, like it's unreal. Dusty insists that Meng taps, even though the replay clearly shows him just passing out. But his finger twitches, so Dusty's like, "Yeah, he was like subconsciously, yeah, right there, <laughs> yeah, right there. that's a tap, that's a tap right there." <laughs> and what does the commentary try to go? No, I think he passed out. He's like, "I said he tapped." <laughs> oh, so commentary throws it up to Dean. Uh, Gene, sorry, who's on top of the ramp again. Gene starts talking, but Meng falls off the stretcher, and I lose my shit. <laughs> he falls. <laughs> I thought Benoit attacked him for a second. I'm like, okay, Benoit's going to make a statement that the dungeon's true. Nope. <laughs> the, the, the paramedics just drop Meng, and they have to put him back on. And instead of Gene just ignoring it and going on with his segment, he's like, did you get that? Oh my god, Meng fell. <laughs> and in true WCW, they did not. They did not get it on camera. So I'm afraid you can't find the gif of Meng falling off a gurney because of referees being unable to, to tame him. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> Back on track, I guess. Gene wishes us a happy Father's Day and shills the hotline a bit more about uh, the, the stranger in uh, Chicago. We got a Bash at the Beach promo, which starts with uh, Brain and Gene in Hawaiian shirts surrounded by women and beaches. But that cuts to the NWO of Hogan and Dennis Rodman being the hottest team in wrestling. I don't know yeah. which pairing was less cool. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's such a great transition of tone going from like Deathmatch Dude. to like Sunny Sun Bash at the Beach yeah. to NWO and Rodman. Yeah, what the Gotta give props to WCW for uh, promoting all of their really important wrestlers. Wait. It's the commentary team. <laughs> <laughs> we then get the next match of the night. We get Mongo McMichael oh, still three versus matches. Kevin. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Mongo McMichael versus Kevin Green. A match that's been a year in the making. Green has never forgotten that Mongo turned on him at the last Great American Bash to become a member of the Four Horsemen. Of course, we saw Green at our last pay-per-view. And a pretty okay showing by a guy that's like never wrestled or barely ever wrestled before. So expectations decent going into this. How about you guys? He exceeded my expectations with this match. He actually looks better than most of the other wrestlers in this fucking pay-per-view. <laughs> looks better in both the middle matches. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, he's good. He's, he's good at wrestling. Like we won't get it. I'm 
don't know why he the match is there at all, but you know, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> he he reminds me of like Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. very similar, like big power moves, bursts of energy, but maybe he's less of a dick. I don't know. I've never met the person, but it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a high bar to clear, you know. It wouldn't be you can a, understand his promos, yeah. That's like he's got yeah. <laughs> speaks English. <laughs> Mongo Mongo's out with his normal entrance with Deborah, of course. Green doesn't waste any time though and runs straight to the ring. <laughs> the bell rings and Green is right uh, on top of Mongo with strikes and the uh, Luther press elbows. Mongo has to bail to catch his bread on the outside and Green's goading him back in the ring. Green's parents are at ringside. And when Mongo gets the upper hand on the outside, he tries to taunt them and beat Green down in front of him. Green's mom hits Mongo with, <laughs> with her purse. Why isn't that a DQ? I don't know. But it, but it isn't. It looked more deadly than some of the deathmatch stuff. So <laughs> it did. Mongo's decent at selling. He also does the get hit by something and just fall down dead. He's done that a couple times, and he does it quite well. Mongo's ability is probably like ten years too late at this point in time. Like if he'd been a wrestler, like yes. in the mid eighties, mm. he probably would have made a lot of money. It doesn't quite work anymore. <laughs> What does work, though, is Dusty's call. (laughs) That was his mama! His mama! (laughs) The commentary team, like, why don't they say from the start, oh, that's Green's mother. Oh, look, he's being so despicable in front of her. They're like, who are those old fans? (laughs) They're just not on the same page at all. An easy way to set it up is either you have Green start out, start out the match, go into them, or, yeah, you just have a shot of them. Like, oh, parents are at ringside. That's all you have to do. But, the shot yeah, of them just, worried and commentary going, oh, a parent shouldn't have to go through this or something dramatic. Just, hey, what old fans we have in attendance today. <laughs> and they're all wearing Carolina Panthers jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> I will say both of these guys play their parts pretty well. The whole match is basically Mongo being a bit smarter, a bit more seasoned at wrestling. Very old school, four horsemen shtick and always getting one up. And Green being the wild baby face, every now and again getting this like spurt of energy and getting a bunch of moves in before getting cut off again. We get a huge shoulder tackle from the top turnbuckle from Green, and I thought it looked hella cool. Mostly because he just hits him. He just hits him straight on. You sounded so hip saying that. <laughs> that's me. Again, that's, that's why I'm the host. That's why I get the big books for this, hella cool. <laughs> for this wow. broadcast. What a nerd. (laughs) I think Gus said this uh, last podcast. Uh, You could tell Green is just enjoying the hell out of it. Yeah. Doing the the 10 punch spot. And like, he just has a smile on his face, checking if his mom is all right. He is having the time of his life. It tells his mom just to sit down and take it easy. After the big shoulder block from the top, we get a big clothesline to the outside. When Green is on the outside, uh, Deborah pretends her ankle is hurt and Green being the gentleman goes over to check on her but then realizes there's nothing wrong. It's all been a ruse. <laughs> what the Doesn't fuck is this? Tells her to get out of the way. I think it's supposed to show that Green is like smartening up as the match goes on. Mongo gets the like better of the first couple exchanges but then, you know, Green wasn't born this morning or something <laughs> and, <laughs> and slips out of the next ones because the next, the next thing that happens is Green fakes sliding into the ring because he's got caught by the elbow before. A Mongo drops the elbow and nothing, and then Green slides in. So he's, mm-hmm. like, getting better as the match progresses. But Deborah feigning an ankle injury was kind of weird. It was just what It's not in her repertoire to do that. Usually yeah. it's like, I'm going to stand on the ring apron and distract the ref. 
I'm pretty. That's what I that's what I do to, to do something that's next level for her. I wasn't sure what was happening. <laughs> I, I just like how abruptly he's like, hold on a minute. Get out of here. I want nothing to do with you. After this, after he slides into the ring, Deborah distracts the ref again while Mongo's choking Green in the corner. Jeff Jarrett runs out and tries to hit Green with the briefcase while Mongo holds him in the corner. But Green pulls down Mongo and he gets whacked in the back of the head. Plays dead as if he's got shot. Jarrett cannot believe it. And Green picks up the three count. Obviously, Deborah furious at Jarrett and putting uh, another interesting wrinkle into the Four Horsemen Jarrett storyline. You didn't note it during the, the finish, though. But w- what makes this so hilarious is so Jarrett comes out with his own briefcase even though there's another briefcase fucking briefcase there. right there they could use. And it's it's in plain view right next to him. So there's two briefcases. There's not just one. Is it still full of money, you think? Are they both full of money? <laughs> Do you think he should put that money in the bank? Guitar strings for Jared. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to love the shitty camera angle again where it becomes really obvious that he is, he's never going to hit Kevin Green with the, with the briefcase. Yeah. There's no space to hit Kevin <laughs> yeah. Green at like, all. They try to cover it up and go, oh, he pulled him into him. No, please. <laughs> <laughs> so believe it or not, after this finish is my most annoying part of the night. We go back <laughs> to Medusa backstage who is still suffering with her knee. And the, the paramedic is there. Why is she still here? Why isn't her knee wrapped up? Why isn't her ice on it? Why isn't she in a hospital if it's that bad? It's been like three matches. He's the head of like medical staff or whatever. They even give him a name, uh, Dave, at some point. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember what it is now because he's such a dork. Never mind all of that as well, Dave. She's literally sitting on one of the shitty tables and that's meant to be the doctor's room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No wonder, no wonder this company goes under. They can't even afford doctors at the moment. (laughs) If this was like right after the match, after Medusa's match, I'd be like, okay, that's a bit long, but we're checking up on her. This is a while later. Why is she still in her ring here? Why is there nothing on her knees? It's just, ow, doctor, my knee still hurts. Yeah, it's gonna. (laughs) You jacked it up in that match and you're still here. He's kind of just like poking and prodding it going, is it her here? Or maybe here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I want the Simpsons meme. Just poking a product. Doctor, what do you think is wrong with my knee? Oh, I'm not a doctor. Just poke <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, give her this and then these. Uh, yeah. It was kind of funny when you said, like, when you said this this bothered me the most. I was like, where are you going from here? Because, you know, Green, when he wins, he like goes to hug his mom. I'm like, what's wrong with hugging, <laughs> hugging his mama? Like, what, what's wrong with all uh, this? <laughs> I jumped the gun a bit. I just wanted to talk about that segment. One thing I loved about the green match, though, people booed green, even though he's very clearly the face, because some people just don't like the Panthers. Well, they're in, they're in the state of Illinois. Oh, okay. Like, that's, that makes sense. There's probably a lot of Bears fans there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. They, yep. they are busy. They are busy taking their losses. So they got to. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what people from Chicago do. I don't know your stereotype <laughs> still. Anyways, this match, I'm just glad this feud's over. Let's get away from football, go over to basketball, where the, the real money is at. Yeah, I I don't know why. It, I get that they're like, okay, they actually finished up a storyline. He genuinely did come out on a nitro and go, oh, can't deal with you now. I got to go off to training camp. But when I'm done, I'll get you. And he did. I, like, fair play for them for following it up and having it. And the match was cool and whatever. And I'm just like, didn't need that celebrity match. Just didn't need it. No, we didn't need it, but it was fine. Yeah, it, it was fine. 
it's because we've had our third football player match yeah. in a row, basically. In the space of a month. Yeah. yeah. It feels like this could have been, yeah, saved for something, right? But there is that, like, they kind of have to just do it when the football players feel like it to an extent. So I, I get they're at the mercy of that. Did they really think that they would do so poorly that they needed football players instead of Hogan? We are in, like, the middle of the just get all the celebrities kind of era of wrestling. And it is... It's gonna it's gonna get worse and it's very irksome and yeah, three in a row is a lot, but at least Green I don't know, in a different life, Green is the next ultimate warrior of this uh, of this era of wrestling, you know. We'll pick up the attitude of the podcast with our next excellent match. Oh no. We get the uh the outsiders versus Piper and Flair, the rematch from the last pay per view, minus the uh, celebrities and six, which thank god. Thank God what? He's one of the good workers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just hate him so much. I know he's good, but I just hate him so much. <laughs> Nothing much new from the feud here. It's just carrying on from Samurai and the NWO called the old guys old. That's it. Don't don't you, don't you love that? Way to, way to put your guys over. If you beat them, oh, I beat them because they're old. But if they beat us, oh, we lost the old guys. Like, I think Jericho said that like as a... As a rule in wrestling, don't don't put down your opponents like that. Yeah, it's just a general thing, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the most old school things. And we are at the phase of the kind of attitude era where they're starting to get more realistic promos and gritty promos. But all of old wrestling was just like, hey, Hulk Hogan, I hate you, but you're great, but I'm going to beat you anyway. Like, that's the whole old promo package. No matter how much you hate someone, you put them over because it's essentially putting yourself over. But yeah, the, the way the NWO put down guys sometimes books them into corners. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to see them get their comeuppance, but they're never going to come across strong when they beat them. Yeah, I, I have not enjoyed this this build up. Is is been well? It sounds like nothing has happened. Like literally nothing. No, no. not really. <laughs> Stuff has happened, but it's just nothing of consequence. And Flair and Piper are just again they're visibly just old, and they they cannot deliver what they used to be. Flair in particular, this is the Flair I remember. He just looks really old, and he is just by the numbers by this point. What's insane is nearly 10 years later, Flair has a better run in the WWF. And I don't get it. He looks better. He wrestles better. I like his position on the card way more when he's older and with evolution and as a mentor. And obviously, he's still very much into politicking at this time. But yeah, he just, I don't know. This is like the worst Flair, I think, out of all the kind of different iterations of him. Also, Gus called it. The NWO blamed the loss on Nick Patrick not being reinstated yet. So it's not an official loss for the NWO. I cackled when I when I heard the promo. <laughs> I was like, of course. Oh, how many times are we going to get this? Oh, our loss doesn't matter. This match doesn't matter because, well, yeah, it actually didn't really matter. Because we're going to have it again. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have another match that doesn't matter. Let's, let's go ahead and call it, Dave. <laughs> the Outsiders out first with six normal uh, entrance music, which I'm always looking forward to every pay-per-view. I love their music. Flair and Piper out individually, but Flair waits for Piper on the ramp. I've noted here, I think the four horsemen are basically the Wu-Tang Clan now. So there's an umbrella group for them, but each of them ignore each other and just do their single projects. <laughs> and just pretend they don't exist. Yeah, they don't really show up together much, no, do they? exactly. So the four horsemen is essentially just the Wu-Tang Clan. I think. Piper and Flair, very serious at the start of the match. Big challenge for them. But the second Flair gets the upper hand on Hall, he's wooing and strutting through the match, sending the bad guys to the outside. Hall whips Flair into the corner 
and he does his flip to the outside, but is met by a brutal big boot by Nash and a nice bump by Flair. Six involved early, gobbing Flair's feet and getting uh, a two count from Hall after a big boot. They isolate Flair, and when the referee isn't looking, Flair hits a low blow, and Piper is the hot tag. All the eye pokes for everyone. I think Piper is maybe my least favorite hot tag in the industry. Gotta love that hot tag offense. Yeah, <laughs> eye pokes for everybody. <laughs> yeah, this will teach them. This will take the wind out of their sails. Massive heat, though. <laughs> it does. It does. Sleeper on Hall, but he breaks it by picking up Piper and crotching him on the rope while the ref is distracted. Why does he need to be distracted for that? Yeah, it's a move that happens in a lot of matches. I don't get it. I was a bit confused by that. I was like, does he really need to? Okay, sure. It's just, it's very little psychology in this match. It's kind of like what Brett like hates about Flair. Maybe it's just this point in his career that a lot of stuff just doesn't make sense, really. It gets very bad at this point, And you can tell when Flair is being lazy, when he just relies on how over his shtick is. Right. And that's that's this. His shtick is so over and Piper's is so over. It doesn't need to make sense. It doesn't have to have psychology because the crowd will pop. So Flair, having only been out of the ring for a couple seconds, is looking for the hot tag right back in. But halfway through, he grabs the ref while both Piper and Hall are down and drags him to his corner. I assume what's happened here, because he kind of shouts, is the ref is in a bad position for the next spot. And he's just angry. So he's got his cue wrong. Because Six runs into the ring after this and kicks Piper. It looks awful. Yeah. I think the ref just was in the wrong corner and Flair was annoyed. Yeah. And they they try and cover it up. Oh, the ref is grabbing Flair to go back. No. (laughs) Not even (laughs) close. That that was the absurdity. It was like, you've actually made it more obvious now that they fucked up. Because you got, oh, you grabbed Mm -hmm. him. Like, he definitely didn't. (laughs) They get back on track straight away, though. And when Six slides out of the ring... Flair, be- uh, Flair beats him up on the other side and they brawl to the back, nullifying Flair for the whole match because, spoilers, he doesn't come back. <laughs> he hates X-Pac as much as the average fan does that he just goes and beats him up backstage for the rest of the fight. Sorry, Dave. No, X-Pac is that good that he can tango yeah. with Flair backstage. Come on. Oh, yeah. We, we don't see it, but they're having a five-star backstage. <laughs> going, I assume. going toe-to-toe with each other, yeah. Nash laughs audibly. And then just asks Hall to tag him in. Is begging Hall for the tag. Piper sees there's no one to tag and tries to fight off Nash, but starts to get beat down. Piper does his valiant kind of fighting on, being punched drunk, but eventually Hall hits the razor's edge for the win. Has Flair ever looked more stupid in a match? It's not even like Six did much. Like if Six had interfered a couple times and Flair was like, that's it. Six kind of interfered twice i guess he has so much heat already like people are already hating six so much like even stuff like you could have a couple nwo members just grab flair through the curtain and then he doesn't look stupid it's just weird booking yeah or he tries to come out the nwo kind of like beat him down again there's 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 way more things you can do with this again it's piper any match with piper like it's just bullshit is involved throughout yeah, have him come out again, but he's like beat up and has NWO sprayed on him. You could do a hundred things to make everyone look great coming out of this match. But they got to make it mysterious and think about the shenanigans that could be going on. Yeah. Shenanigans they didn't have to pay for. There's no more appearance fees for people stumbling back out, I guess. <laughs> it's weird. No, yeah. According to the dirt sheets, there was a lot of heat over the past few weeks. There was one particular Nitro Piper called a finish six minutes early. Probably because he was dying. 
<laughs> I don't know what it was, but it was one of the most awkward endings to a Nitro I've ever seen. Like, it, it was awful. If you want to see like the most awkward ending to a Nitro, I'll six I can minutes. I can send it out. Yeah, do some of do. his matches aren't even six minutes long. In my notes, I have they send the entire locker room out just to bro. Whoever has a feud, they just send out. So it's like Harlem oh, no. Heat and the, and the signers just start fighting in the, in the rampway for in some rampway. reason. It, nice. it has nothing to do with NWO or Flair or anything. It's just like <laughs> we need to fill this time to end the episode. And that's how they go off the air. It's oh my god! I didn't know that's what it was until I read like the dirt sheets. I was like, oh, it's that quite, makes a lot more sense. Like, I mean, Piper okay. clearly can't wrestle for that long. Like, he's absolutely destroyed. He's almost as bad as Hugh Morris is uh, <laughs> earlier in the night. <laughs> Like, and knowing all this, I'm so glad the Outsiders won this match. I'm like, thank God. I just wish they got their like their heat back in a cleaner way. Mm-hmm. Like they put they put over their baby faces so clean and so ridiculously in the last pay per view. When I saw that they that Flair and Rick gave the win back, I'm like, okay, they're giving the young guys their heat back, and it's going to be great. Or they're, they're going to do something over the top cheaty to make themselves look like unbeatable. Because that's always the sense with these heel stables. You can't beat them because they'll always cheat. They're it's insurmountable. But they don't. They Flair's just an idiot, and Piper's very old, so he can't fight two people. That's it. They don't even double team Piper. They just fight him one on one twice. <laughs> they he just, gets no they just destroy him in a tag match. Yeah, yeah, pretty easy. <laughs> That's it. Uh, a quick point too. Like, I mean, there there was some backstage scuffles through this. Apparently, like. Uh, Brett and Sean th- around this time they have their backstage brawl where they were like sent home that whole thing so it's it's kind of cool that like the power struggle the Monday Night Wars that like they don't want to punish these guys they need to keep them around because they don't want to want their Just wrestlers to go up, to yeah. the uh, to the other other uh, other show yeah so it was kind of yeah. cool that like this happens around the same time it is a weird contrast of eras where we're seeing what happens now if wrestlers have way too much power. WCW is the prime example of what happens if you let the uh, inmates run the asylum. But modern wrestling is probably the promotions having too much power over people's livelihoods and mm. over scripted and over booked nonsense. And they're both terrible in their own ways, but they're both terrible. <laughs> there needs to be a middle ground for sure, but like, they just have to give their big stars what they want creative wise because what else can they do? Next match was one of our favorite feuds, I think, over the podcast so far. Rematch between DDP versus Macho Man on Lee Savage, this time in a Falls Count Anywhere match. The buildup has been very much the same as the last time for DDP. He is the everyman working his way up babyface, defying odds and standing by himself against the NWO. Macho Man, though, is becoming Macho Mania and getting more unhinged as the days go by. He attacks Gene and JJ Dillon. Dylan says, there used to be a time when I had tremendous amounts of respect for you. You're not the same macho man. I see the coward hiding in the rafters. Even Eric Bischoff is concerned over the way he's acting and tries to get security to pull him off J.J. Dylan when he attacks him. In the end, he's only fined instead of suspended because Dylan thinks he's trying to weasel his way out of the return match with DDP. So a bit of a character alteration to macho and like a character we know he can play quite well from some of his heel runs in his OVBF. From his reality, too. Uh, from his reality, yeah. <laughs> we get Michael Buffer to introduce the wrestlers, and this is the least effective I've seen Buffer. He asks for the lights to go out, as he says, we're ready to rumble, yeah. and he gets massive pyro. What the hell is that? Yeah, I don't know why the lights have to go out. Because it was for... Did you not hear him? No. It's because the, the added stipulation... 
of its lights out. Which I don't know. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I thought but, there was uh, going to be a lights out match. I'm like, I don't know <laughs> either. Right? I was genuinely afraid when he said lights out and they turned the lights out. I was like, this would be an incredibly WCW thing to have a match with no lights on. <laughs> <laughs> it just blinks on every now and again and you see one of them in a move. <laughs> just like amp up the sound on the mics around the ring and just let people try and figure out what's going on. <laughs> yeah, the worst time, like the worst part of this is Buffer like spends most of the time like playing up to Kimberly like and his wife Kimberly and she is most beautiful in her radiance it's like what well, she, he doesn't know what to say he doesn't know for any of the entrances same with Macho and Elizabeth's entrance he doesn't know like a modern wrestler who doesn't know how to cut a promo through a watch chant Buffer doesn't know how to introduce someone through the NWO's no, a soundboard so he doesn't know <laughs> when the sounds are going to happen so he keeps Ooh, pausing yeah yeah. Oh yeah, new, 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 new world order. And he's like, uh, uh, okay, I can talk. I don't think there's going to be a new world order for a couple seconds. I got a <laughs> sentence in here. <laughs> it's it's really bad. His introduction of Kimberly is very reminiscent of the the gimmick they tried to get for Eva Marie for her entrance music. If you've ever heard that, yeah. oh, nice. It's Good pretty call. much what it is. Like, <laughs> what I think happens with Kimberly is he goes to say, now escorted by Kimberly realizes that he isn't going to come out the yeah. front ramp. Preceded. <laughs> yeah, preceded by Kimberly. I'm like, well, definitely DDP is coming. The minute he says that, I'm like, well, definitely DDP is coming through the she audience. Magnificent. And lo and behold, <laughs> yeah, he just fills time for DDP to run in behind Macho, get the offense, get the early hot babyface offense in. DDP, once he hits the attack, goes straight for the cutter, but Macho Man bells to the outside. DDP hits a sling shot crossbody but sells his ribs and these ribs have kind of been sold for the whole feud there is a moment where he gets attacked by elizabeth and one of the nitros and it flares it up again but they've kind of been targeting his taped up ribs since the start of the macho feud ribs it's like down at his waist dave yeah the, the, the commentary say ribs ribs go down to close no. to no <laughs> they just they just say ribs i they must mean stomach. His yoga body extends <laughs> yeah. his ribs. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's elongating yeah. somehow. Like yeah. <laughs> You've heard rumors that Marlon Manson got two ribs removed. DDP just took them. Well, DDP <laughs> took them and added. Yeah. <laughs> added more ribs. <laughs> He's got like 17 ribs all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a low. It is where he's bandaged. I didn't even think of that. It is a very weird thing. I need to, to protect my stomach somehow. <laughs> like, oh Amazing. Macho tries to use Elizabeth as a shield, but DDP just shrugs it off, calls her a bimbo, and throws her to the side, which I thought was a, a nice touch. He's getting sick of Macho Man shenanigans. I don't like Dusty's comment, though. He's like, there you go. Get the women out of the way. <laughs> All right, yeah. Thanks, Dusty. Sure. Yeah. Why is it so much more creepy when Dusty does it? It's the accent. <laughs> it is the accent. I th- yeah, I think it's part of it is like we saw this like good women's match. Like, yeah, women empowerment. It's like, no, nope, the women are in the way. Get them out of there. They're useless. Get them out. Get them out. Uh, like Medusa, just get right out of the company. Right. <laughs> we go for a walk uh, as the lads brawl through the audience. The DDP breaks a crutch over Macho's back. He waits for... <laughs> he throws Macho out of the... Through the doors to the kind of uh, lobby and waits for Macho to come back through the doors and hits him. <laughs> Not sure what door he's going to come back out of, which I thought was a bit funny. He smacks him pretty damn hard with that crutch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just a real wooden crutch that he just smashes over his back. It was quite hard for them to get back through the fans. Security were not amazing <laughs> at making a hole. 
and they just have to kind of drag themselves through fans trying to touch them. And and Gus, you're I'm sure you're not happy with this. The the production truck they they stay on the camera going through yeah. the crowd. You can't, can't see, see anything. anything. Just like, go to a wide shot, something, <laughs> please. So I feel much. so bad for the cameraman. Yeah, like it's it's definitely not their fault. Like <laughs> yeah, just dragging that piece of equipment. Back in the ring, DDP gets a face full of unknown powder, and he gets a DDP sign smashed over his head, which just smashes into shards. I don't like using stuff handed from in from the crowd. I'm always a bit anxious about that. It really bothers me. Commentary is trying to figure out one. One they try and figure out what the powder is, yeah. and then they try and figure out what the like the whatever the thing that DDP hits him with. Like just yeah. move on. That's it not important. Yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah, the powder it could be sugar. It could be mm, is it salt? <laughs> just, I hope it's not sugar. <laughs> yeah. Getting sugar in your eyes must be awful. Hang on, I'll just go down to the ring and check. Uh, <laughs> it's just an image of Dusty like licking it. I'm like a, I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Macho strips away the bandages on the lower abdomen part of DDP and works on his quote-unquote ribs. Ref gets a bit too involved for Macho Man's liking, so gets spit <laughs> spit right in his face. When the ref gets involved again, Macho hits a pile driver on him. We were told he's the hometown ref. I didn't catch his name. Oh, who cares? But trying to get heat with the crowd by telling the crowd beforehand that he was a specially picked hometown referee. And Macho then tears his shirt off him, revealing his... Uh, his robust underbelly. <laughs> Is that what you like to call yourself, Dave? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, for sure. <laughs> I'd love if that's how people refer to me. The robust underbelly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another ref down to handle Macho again, but he gets slugged and thrown out of the ring for his trouble. Nick Patrick down to defend Kimberly from Savage. This time it works as Nick Patrick doesn't lay his hands on Savage and uh, seems to calm him down and turn his attention back to Page. They take a walk up the ramp, and to the right of it, there's a VIP picnic area. <laughs> I don't know why this is VIP. It clearly has no yeah, view of the ring or way to watch no, the event. like, TVs or anything. A, no TVs. So it's just a bunch of fans having some food that scamper when DDP throws Macho Man through the fence. And again, this looks harsh. The fence just, like, shatters. I, I don't know. I just, I just love all of Dusty's commentary because he immediately is obsessed with the barbecue. You have the barbecue. It's brilliant. You're the barbecue. And I'm like, brilliant. Dusty, he can't hear you. I don't. <laughs> it's the exact same as the rubber shark stuff. Dusty just loves these style of matches. He's like, yeah, hit him with stuff that you have. It's great. Paige puts him through one of the picnic tables, throws him around the area, and he upends the barbecue on him to Dusty's uh, immense pleasure. Charcoal is everywhere, everywhere or whatever. Yeah. Black powder, whatever you <laughs> yeah. want to call it. We're not going to focus on what the hell it was. But uh, yeah, Brain makes the comment of lucky it wasn't uh, lucky those people weren't cooking. Yeah. <laughs> that that would have been, been amazing, important. though. Just some dude like actually making some burgers and flipping and stuff and make them <laughs> over. Oh. <laughs> Burger gets in there. Right? Oh, I'm not supposed to get burgers in it. Oh, no. <laughs> that was vegan. Vegan. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I didn't think that was going to happen in this match, or like in general, because like Randy's like what an older guy, but Randy's taking like some pretty serious bumps here. Going through that picnic table, yeah. Come, like I'm not expecting Randy to do that. Randy getting hit by the barbecue thing, like he is, he is taking the bumps, he's taking his licks in this match, which I, I really commend Randy. These props are just barbecue things. They've obviously just gone to like a Home Depot store 
and bought these things. They aren't like fake broken props. Same with the crutch. Like DDP whacked them with that crutch. So yeah, Randy is taking a real beating and DDP not taking as many bumps in this match so far. Back in the ring, we get Randy getting crotched on the turnbuckle pole by DDP, kind of classic move of his. Later on, on the outside, Randy pulls up the Velcro um, mats and exposes the concrete, takes an elbow on the concrete. DDP is about to get pile-drivered, but Nick Patrick stops him and the commentary commend him for it. Could have ended poor DDP's career. Macho beats him up for it and then beats up a random photographer and wrecks his camera. This gives DDP enough time to hit him with a chair and not get pile-drivered. Back in the ring, Macho uh, goes for a suplex, but DDT reverses it into a diamond cutter. Hollis is out to break up the pin. He tries to hit DDP with the tag title, but DDP ducks and hits an atomic drop. While his back is turned and he's setting up for the diamond cutter, Savage picks up the tag title and hits Page with it. Hall picks up Page, hits the razor's edge, and then Macho hits the big elbow from the top. Hall wakes up the referee, and the count is made for the tree count. That whole running is so convoluted. Like, the very first thing I wrote was like, why is he coming out with his tag title belts? Nobody runs out with their belt like that. And then immediately he uses them. Like, oh, okay, fair enough. Why didn't you just give him, like, knuckles or something? Like, <laughs> it's, on his, it's on his waist. If you're going to use it, just run out with it in your hand. It's, like, around his waist like he's making an entrance, you know? It just looks so odd to me <laughs> it does it really doesn't that bother me that much because I, th- I think a lot of other elements work in this match yeah i mean they could have done like a chair shot or something because like the chair right there around, <laughs> right there so the- that's why if i feel it's convoluted yes like there's no need for hall to even give him the belt he could just wail on him there's no rules to this match <laughs> <laughs> right well oh. at least he comes out i think that's my like one critique i think we like we talked about the Spring Stampede match, like, oh, why isn't the MWO coming on help? At least they yeah, do yeah. that part. They get that part right. Uh, another thing, I think they did this in the previous match too. Dusty wants DDP, I think, to go for the pin. And I don't think there had been like a pinfall attempt. And we were like, I don't know, 15 minutes into the match. So it really brings into the that this is just like a grudge match. Yeah. They don't care about who wins. It's just they want to just beat the crap out of each other. So I thought that was a really nice storytelling moment of, of yeah. this whole thing. Yeah, it's a, it's it's what the death match between Benoit and Meng was missing, right? There's no waiting for someone to get counted to ten. They just wail on each other from start to finish and take a lot of punishment. Their like rest hold is their walk through the fans. It's a pretty nonstop match, and I, I think a few funny elements. And Macho's getting older, so it's not exactly his best work, but. I think it's still a good match. I think it's showing a development of Macho's character where now Paige is under his skin. He's so annoyed by Paige. He's acting erratically and he needs help. Paige is so overwhelming. He needs Hall to come out to win and that's how it should be. And it's a good way, like Macho put Paige over the last pay-per-view. It's a good way to give Paige's heat back. He didn't look bad. He didn't look stupid. He looked a bit out-wrestled and then needed help. So I think both guys, again, come off looking great from this exchange and crowd were very into it. When I thought of public enemy matches and nasty boy matches, this is what I thought of. These are, this was a good brawl, not what those guys bring to the table. Well, it's, it's excellent psychology by Randy, all the ref like beating up. It's like, it's kind of comical, but it makes sense. Like this is his way to kind of get through the match. It's like, yeah, you hit the diamond cutter, but Oh, the ref is, he's hurt. I'm sorry. Oh, well, it's a bit of smoke and mirrors. Yeah. The ref also has to get in his face. It isn't just, oh, I'm crazy. I hit a referee. The ref annoys Randy every time, right? So, like, the ref is up in Randy's face, break up that move, and Randy's like, 
you know, fuck you. I'm, I'm going to do what I want. I'm mad. So it all makes sense. Again, it could be better. Randy is on the older side. But I'd rather have these kind of matches where Randy covers up for his weaknesses than what Piper or Flair are doing at the moment. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> no, I really enjoy this because of getting to see DDP over the past year. And it's like proper main event and seeing where he started off and where he's gotten to. And it's not weird to see him fight Randy. It's They're on the level. He's actually like up on the same kind of tier now as a lot of the other guys. He's probably the one person that has gotten himself over consistently over the last year. So it's cool. Even though he lost this match, I don't think he loses anything in, in the process. And it just kind of shows that he's more than capable of taking on any of the bigger guys now. Yeah, a, a WCW f- feud where both people come off looking good. Very rare. Yeah. Very rare. One thing I didn't really enjoy is the DDP character hasn't really evolved that much in, over the past month. He's evolved so much that I guess they need to slow down the pace a little bit. But these two are so great that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You can, you, we can watch it. I mean, they're going to wrestle again, so it's just going to be a, a lot of fun next time we see it. I can see why this feud was so well-renowned, and it's really living yeah. up to the hype. really holds up. One thing Face DDP does, and it's a bit of a slide on him, but I get why he does it, and it's the same as Randy Orton, is he can get lazy because his finisher is so over that his character development is how he uses his finisher almost. Every time he almost hits a diamond cutter, the crowd go mental. They love it so much. And they love that he just, he never pulls it out of nowhere. It's always very obvious when it's coming. But it coming out of nowhere is what they love. And he does it really well. Something positive I want to say about the pay-per-view overall, and I commented on this in the Cruiserweight match at the start, is every match, whether we like the match or not, or like the story or not, had a story. For a couple of these pay-per-views, we've been scratching our heads like, why is this a match not on Nitro? And some of these matches, you know, they didn't live up to their story or you couldn't feel any heat behind them like you could in the main event. But all of these had storylines behind them, progressions, ends, character developments. And that's great. That's a big step forward to, hey, Ray, fight that guy. Why? He's all, he's small and foreign. That's the only reason you need. Yeah, I'll, br- I'll bring up the a big difference of the booking lately is Terry Taylor has been taking over the booking job over Kevin Sullivan lately. I don't know how much of, of a balance that those two have because I know Kevin Sullivan is still involved in the company going forward because with Goldberg's run, I know he was very involved with, with the booking of that. But from the dirt sheets, it's, it sounds like Terry Taylor is the main driver at this point right now. Terry Taylor is pretty great. Guy that doesn't get probably enough respect in the industry. Well, he likes Jericho, so that's why I like him. <laughs> yeah, he does. It is good that there is stories for a lot of these matches. Like the pay per view itself isn't all that bad. There's a couple of ones in the middle that really, really drag down. If you just look at some of the matches, even to be fair, I don't mind that tag match, the previous, the double main event. I don't mind it as much as no. probably the two of you do. It's kind of throwaway for sure, but the whole pay per view is throwaway. So I guess once I think of it in that light, it's not as big of a deal to me. Just some of the matches are fucking awful. <laughs> Besides the Medusa match, like all the feuds are just continuation feuds, uh, right? Sure, yeah. yeah. Besides Dragon and Psychosis, which is sort of continuation, yeah, but it's not really. Uh, but everything else. That's yeah. definitely the best match, though. The, uh, the opener, yet again. For sure, uh, match of the night. Yeah, I like the main event a lot because of its style. As I said, I like that brawling style when it's done right, and I think it was done right for this match. The ending's a bit, as Gus pointed out, convoluted. But I think I'm going to give my best match. I'm going to, for once, I'm going to disagree with you guys and say the main event was my favorite match. 
I have to point out one thing that I really don't like about these pay-per-views, uh, and it's highlighted what? in the main event. Did you see what the front row was? There was six people in the front row, all wearing one T-shirt. It stings. Uh, they were yeah. chanting for Sting randomly in two or three minutes. They, the fans got into the match eventually, but at the very start, some of them were chanting, oh, we want Sting. And I don't think that's a condemnation of the guys in the ring. No, no. I think that's how over Sting is at the moment. It just seems wrong not to involve him somehow. I know. We had, we had this complaint last time. I mean, it's it's hard because he's involved on Nitros and things like that. And it's like, how many times do you want to involve him? I just wouldn't want to make him on it, Nitro as much. Yeah. Sure, I, I agree. You you definitely want to make it feel special. I mean, it's like, what is he going to do? Obviously, he could help DDP here. He's helped him on Nitro, so why doesn't he yeah. show up then? 1997 is really weird. I was hoping it was going to step up to expectations because so far, like, not much has really happened. It, it seems like we're continuing to stall from Starcade. It's like Bischoff booked Starcade at the beginning of the year and is trying to figure out how to fill in the yeah. gap. How do I get the rest of the year here? Okay. And then Hogan's like, oh, I'm gone for two months. What? Yeah, I'm just gone. Okay. Um, (laughs) Creative control. uh, (laughs) Yeah. It it goes back to the fact that it's like, yeah, this feels very filler. We're still trying to build Steiners versus Outsiders. This has been going on since January. It's like, all right, can we get to the end here? And they even had a cool idea for it. Like like, the car thing is messed up, but it was kind of cool it had a payoff and they, they could have got there already and they just didn't. <laughs> Instead, they just screwed them over repeatedly. But wrapping up the pay-per-view, we didn't really mention that like right after Randy wins, the pay-per-view just signs it off. It just ends. Kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah. So there's no like, there's no spray paint. There's no showboating. There's no posing, nothing. I don't know if like the network cut out like 10 minutes or whatever. Maybe WCW was actually close to time. So they like cut it earlier. I'm not sure what it was. It was very abrupt. So that was very glaring. Yeah. I I think they just, a match must have went along somewhere. They did. The commentators were very fast to shut it down and slightly annoying, but at least it doesn't, you know, cut five minutes off a match before it's done. See that later. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather have this than like them having the NWO pose for five minutes and beat up. Yeah, people. So yeah, I don't think it's bad. It was just very glaring. It was like, well, I'm not used to this. Yeah, it's right. just very strange. <laughs> okay. So, guys, end of the pay per view. I know it's a bit of a throwaway, but I'm going to ask Fergus, whose side are you on? It's got to be the NWO, right? They won again. I got the only matches they in. They won. Nobody's any closer to being in any way uh, organized against them. Still, so NWO for life. How about you, Connor? Have you changed uh, allegiance? Have you started your own stable? <laughs> Whose side are you on? I have. I don't know if I've started my own stable, but yeah, I'm definitely on WCW's side. NWO is getting old for me. I don't. I don't know what it is. I can't, I'm tired of Hogan promos and the outsiders aren't being stuck with Piper and Flair does not help them. I'm definitely on DDP and Steiner's side, so I guess that's WCW. Yeah, NWO. I need Rodman back on our side. I haven't seen enough Rodman, so hopefully next pay per view they'll uh, save the NWO for me. And as for me, I am, I'm going to go NWO. I like Macho a lot. I like his kind of transformation of character. I like him putting over this young guy. Outsiders are fine. And Hogan isn't here, which makes me pretty happy. It's also hard to be on the WCW side when there's a Flair and Piper match like that on the card. But that's us for another edition of the WCW vs. NWO podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle WCW versus NWO podcast. Can they find us anywhere else? Connor. 
Uh, we also have a Vimeo page. We only have one video up on there. It's our Clash of the Champions awesome match with uh, Dean Malenko versus Ultimo Dragon. So check that out, vimeo.com uh, slash WCW versus NWO podcast. I do love posting on Instagram and Twitter mainly. I'm, I'm hoping we can do a little bit more Facebook content. But yeah, that's the way things are going. If you want to reach out to us, if you want to send any hate tweets right at me, WCW versus NWO podcast, I'm usually the one responding. So come at me. From me, Connor and Gus, thanks for listening and join us next time when we're going up north for a special episode covering Canadian Stampede.